get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7 o'clock in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's great to have Michelle Smallman back in the studio after a day off yesterday. Good to see you. It is great to be back in the studio, Randy. It's weird to take a, a day off when you're used to the rhythm of doing the show, but especially a Monday off when so much has happened over the weekend. It was weird to be off, but good to be back. It is 7 a.m., and it's 52 degrees in St. Louis, so are are we cool here with the weather for the rest of life for the at least spring and summer are what we, do you mean by are that we, are, are we gonna have any of that stupid winter weather from or, now on from now on for this year I certainly hope not but we do have about a week of rain I think coming starting yeah, tomorrow so right. that's not great that's stupid but at least the lowest high that we'll have I guess Friday it's gonna be 48 but I'm I'm okay with that. That's better than zero. Okay, would you rather have zero precipitation, but it's, let's say, 15 degrees outside, or a day where it's high 50s, but it's raining? I would rather take the high 50s in the rain myself. Really? Yep. Now, I don't want... If it's a week, I'll take sunshine in 15, but for a couple of days, I would take the high temperatures and uh, the rain. I like to be able to go without a big coat. True, but then you have an umbrella and then maybe galoshes and a raincoat. There's more accessories if it's raining. I never use umbrellas. I mean, I literally never use umbrellas. Wait, hold on. Why not? I just don't. I don't think. Like, if it's pouring, I'll just walk out to my car. If my hair gets wet for two minutes, that's fine. I can handle it. But what about your clothes? What do you do? If if the rain is blowing, you're going to get wet anyway. I don't care. This is the luxury you have of being a guy and not only not having to worry about what your hair looks like because it's probably going to dry the same way, but also that you don't have a purse or a tote or something that you need to worry about getting wet. Because for me, it's not even the hair half the time. It's my bag and everything that's in the bag that I'm concerned about getting wet. So, okay, we're going to start off here on a a weird, uh, just a a weird track. Haven't we tell you? (laughs) Let me tell you this. So the very first time... Joan ever asked for a purse for a gift. I thought, oh, cool. She says, yeah, I want a Dunian Burke. It's a long time ago, famous bar. Okay. So I said, yeah, cool, no problem. And so I go, and so she perfectly described the purse to me. It's a black and brown leather Dunian Burke. And I said, I guess that's the one I want. Lady said, okay, you want it wrapped? Yeah, I want it wrapped. Gets all nicely wrapped and everything. She says, that'll be $460. Okay. I thought purses cost like maybe $90, $100. 
I had Some no idea do. that purses cost almost that a purse could cost more than five hundred dollars, or almost five hundred. I'm used to it now, but I was <laughs> flabbergasted that day. I thought, wow. So did you pay for it? Oh, yeah. You got it? Good job. Good job. Because I'm sure that would have been awkward if you said, didn't know the price tag ahead of time. I'm going to walk away after she's wrapped it up. Randy, do you know how much a Chanel bag costs? How much? Uh, I think on the low end, like four grand. Wow. Do you know how much a Hermes Kelly bag costs? No, I've never even heard of an Hermes Kelly bag. Ten grand on the low end. Wow. Ten grand on the low end, and there's a waiting line, a waiting list for years to get a Kelly bag. I'm glad she didn't ask for that. Yeah, no, that's that's a pretty. uh, You you have to be in a certain tax bracket to even consider buying a ten thousand dollar bag. I'm not there. I'm sure you you are not there. But I always wonder. If I had that much money, would I feel comfortable spending 10 grand plus on a handbag? Likely no. Also, if I'm carrying around a bag that costs $10,000, I don't (laughs) want to put anything in it. I think I should have security around me at all times. I'd be so nervous to go anywhere with this bag. You better have at least $10,001 in cash in there. That's Well, that's how I feel about watches, too. So, so many guys I know are so into watches. They want a Rolex. They want, uh, you know, this or that, whatever it is. And I think if you got 30 grand on your wrist, aren't you so yeah. worried about it all the time? You should be. So let me tell you that my watch, it's a Timex, actually, Michelle. <laughs> and that might have cost like 25 bucks. See, and you're not worried about slamming your wrist yeah. on the table. You're not worried if that thing no. stops. No. <laughs> if, if someone goes to bug you, you're good giving that one over. And if we have to record an interview, I have a stopwatch on this baby. <laughs> That's right. That watch has a purpose and a function. So, fellas, we're going to use the, uh, well, you can use the Rhino Shield mic drop feature if you want. Uh, We've got What's Better coming up. But you can also use the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 if, indeed, A, you use an umbrella, or B, you've been surprised by a gift that you were requested of your significant other at some point. Yeah, the price tag, I'm sure. But, you know, a lot of guys, Randy, now have bags, maybe uh, a tote themselves or a satchel. Indiana Jones wears one. Mm -hmm. Uh, LeBron James, you will see him going into games, and he has a man bag of some sort. So I wonder if that was a shock to guys when they realized, I'm going to get in the bag game myself, and then they realized the price tag of the bag. I would think so. Absolutely. It's expensive. If you didn't stay up for the end of the Blues game, that's all right. The Blues fell 3-2 last night in San Jose. The Blues up 2-1 in the third period when Logan Couture scores on the power play. Not much resistance from the Blues PK. 2-2 game goes to overtime, and in the very first minute of OT, here's Ryan O'Reilly in to the middle of the ice. Holds. O'Reilly tries to get around the goaltender, and Dubnik steered it away, and here comes Eric Carlson burning up ice. Right side to Kane, to the goal, shoots and scores! San Jose will win in overtime tonight. And the Blues will finish the road trip with back-to-back overtime losses. But come home with a 4-0-2 road trip. Some home cooking, their own bed, and the Las Vegas Golden Knights coming in. I thought it looked an awful lot like what happened against the Kings in the last game where Tarasenko had the opportunity Mm -hmm. to score. Kempe comes back down the other end and and scores the game winner for L.A. Last night, it's O'Reilly that has the opportunity for St. Louis. And then back comes Evander Kane to score the winner against Villejuso. It definitely felt like deja vu, Mm back-to-back overtime losses. And in a lot of situations prior, that's when the Blues would thrive as in overtime. Our guy David Perron, Mr. OT, Mm -hmm. would usually step up then. But while there were certainly chances for the 
the Blues to take that game, not only in overtime, but late in the third, that pass by Krug, that perfect pass by Tory Krug to Braden Shen. He has the open shot. He misses it. Um, even though I'm sure the Blues would want not only that game back, but the game prior, heading into this road trip, Randy, we told them just do what you can. Tread water. Tread water. With so many injuries, just see how many points you can squeak out. Try to maintain as much as possible. And then as you heard Curb say, 4-0-2 on the road trip. When you look at the points total, not bad for your St. Louis Blues. Craig Bruby, 10 of 12 points on the trip. No, that's a great trip. It really is. I mean, we got points in every game, which is outstanding. I would have liked to have close these last two games out we didn't do it you know we just gotta you know we gotta dig down a little bit bet more and, and find a way to close these games out and the blues for the most part did dominate this game they outshot the sharks 26 to 20 and as a matter of fact san jose outshot the blues eight to four in the third but the blues just couldn't get anything past devin dubnik you know we met you know just some execution where i think we had right there good looks and just didn't execute you know braden shen you know that he got an empty net there he scores there that's probably the game but that's the way it goes i mean uh you know, you got to go. You go through stretches like this throughout the season, and uh, right now it's uh, a little bit of uh, puck luck, maybe not scoring enough. But uh, you know, that's the way it goes sometimes. So um, you know, but overall, it was a real good trip. Totally agree. Was a really good trip. That's sometimes the way it goes. And I think for me, because we try to look at the more positive side of it, I, even in the losses, think, well, they were two overtime losses and the Blues did get points and they should have won both games. They had the opportunity to win both games. And heading into this trip, I didn't expect that from them. I didn't expect them to come away with 10 of 12 points. I didn't expect them to go 4-0 and 2 on this trip. And even though the last two games certainly disappointing in the outcome, you also look at the return of Vladimir Terry Sanko mm-hmm. and the way that, that he looked and how that's going to bode well for the Blues, hopefully, as he continues to find his footing and get into that rhythm. But disappointing loss last night, but I think overall, successful trip for the Blues. Yeah, Braden Shen, w- would you have taken 10 out of 12 points? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's always uh, tough coming out here, um, time changing everything, and I think we, uh, you know, did a pretty good job. Obviously, would have liked to grab, um, you know, at least one of those points in the past two games there in OT, but, um, you know, we'll, t- we'll take it, uh, you know, grab points in, in every single game, and uh, got to be happy with that. And now the Blues are off Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, their next game home against Alex Petrangelo and the Golden Knights on Friday night, 6 o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN, 7 o'clock face-off, and it'll be cool to see Petro back in town. It will. Wish that it was a packed Enterprise Center and that yeah. that we could see the way that, that would play out. What do you think it would be like if it was a packed Enterprise Center? Uh, respect, obviously, and homage mm-hmm. to the former captain. How long does that last? I would say... 30 seconds to a minute, standing okay. O. But then, as soon as the puck drops, he's the enemy? He's just a guy. Yeah. Okay. No doubt about it. The Cardinals played to a 7-7 tie with Miami yesterday. It was a nine-inning game down in Florida. And the Cardinals got some pretty good performances out of some offensive players. Dylan Carlson, one for three with a couple of RBIs. Tyler O'Neill with three more runs batted in. Uh, we talked yesterday about uh, the the Cardinals' youngster Perez, who had a couple of RBIs yesterday. And it was an interesting lineup in the shell. Tommy Edmond leading off. Paul Goldschmidt hit second. Mm. Arenado hit third. DeYoung fourth. And Carlson fifth. Mike Schell, how do you come up with that lineup? There's uh, virtues depending on which way you look at it, right? There's value um, hitting third and fourth. There's maybe some value as we look at it, hitting them second and third. You know, ultimately it gives them a, a few more to- times potentially 
during the course of the game, you want to get your better hitters at the top, but we do have guys that we feel like can uh, get on base for them as well. So they, you know, they can they can have people to drive in. So, you know, there's we'll continue to look at it. Um, I think either way we'll be in, in good shape. Um, but there's a there's a reason to think about both sides of it. And today, you know, look look pretty good. You know, and we'll just continue to look at it and play with it and, and uh, get a feel for it. And the days of having a set lineup just don't exist anymore because the numbers are so accessible. What a hitter does against a pitcher, what Dylan Carlson does, lefty or righty. Mm -hmm. So if you're planning on seeing a set lineup every day, and I know people still complain about it, that's not going to happen. And especially in spring training, this is a time for Mike Schilt to be able to mix and match the puzzle pieces and try to find the right combination that works. And, you know, it makes sense to me to want to at least try it out and see what it's like to front load your lineup like that. And that's part of the beauty of this time of year is that he can try that and see what it looks like. But what do you think? Opening day, we likely see Goldie three, Arenado four. Yeah. I, I would think the young fifth. Yeah, that'd yeah be that's probably what I would guess. think, too. Cards and Mets down in Florida today. A couple of other notes, and this isn't just a note for Dak Prescott. He agreed to a four-year $160 million contract with the Cowboys. All right, Dak. A lot of notes. A lot of, <laughs> lot of notes. But don't you love a guy who continually bets on himself and finally gets rewarded for doing so? Yeah, and especially coming off the injury there were a lot of concerns with that broken leg. wasn't as bad as Tigers, but it was pretty bad. Yikes! <laughs> and uh, he's uh, he's going to be healthy, and he gets a four-year deal. And Michelle, he'll be a free agent before he turns 32, which is great for him. For a quarterback. For a quarterback, great Absolutely. for him. I was listening to the morning show on ESPN. Randy Zubin, Jay Will, and Keyshawn on the way in, and their question of the day was, "What's more likely in the next four years that Dak wins a Super Bowl?" with the Cowboys or he leaves and I don't it's so difficult to win a Super Bowl yeah. and when you look at where the Cowboys are currently as a team I don't see it happening in the next four years do you as long as Jerry Jones is the owner and GM of that franchise they will not win a Super Bowl he's just incapable there are several owners Dan Snyder being another that just will not win a Super Bowl and one other note sad news former Cardinal lefty Real Cormier Frenchie was his nickname died at the age of 53 from pancreatic cancer he was 71 and 64 in his career with the Cardinals Red Sox Expos Phillies and Reds and a really good guy just a a nice man so uh, condolences to the family and friends of the former Cardinal Real Cormier coming up Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. And Michelle and I and Emily will play What's Better on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle, I'm Randy, and Emily is here for a little game of What's Better. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780, for What's Better on 101 ESPN. And by the way, Michelle is looking up at the screen with MLB Network, where Harold Reynolds is interviewing Albert Pujols. Lots of great highlights from his time here in St. Louis. And this week, by the way, our friends in the fast lane are going to talk to Albert. Is that today? You know, Emily? At some point soon, they're talking to Albert. Great. Yeah. I think they're going to, um, with with him being on the, playing in Arizona, I think they're going to pre-tape something this week. Then, so I think they're talking to him tomorrow, and I don't know when it's going to actually They'll air it that day then. So that could be good. All right. What's better? We'll stick with Albert. He returns 
This is from the 573. What's better? Albert returns and finishes with the Cardinals while chasing 700 or the return of Big City to the lineup? Albert. Albert. <laughs> and we love Matt Adams, yeah, and he's do. a St. Louis guy through and through. But where does Matt Adams fit in this lineup? You don't play him ahead of Goldschmidt, do you? I wouldn't. And I don't think you're going to play him in left field. Don't think so. So it would be nice to have that left-handed bat, but I don't think that he returns to your lineup. And Albert, at least, is a storyline and yeah. at least brings excitement. And, again, no disrespect to Matt Adams because we love him here in St. Louis. He was a great Cardinal when he was a Cardinal. But if you're going to give me the option between the two, I'm going to pick Albert Pujols even at a, a diminished level. Yeah, And if Matt comes back, that's the hat trick, right? That would be his third stint. That would right. be like David Perron-esque. <laughs> yes, it would. From the 314, what's better? A nice, cold adult. Could be adult, could be not beverage on a hot day or a warm drink on a cold day this is a really good question michelle is it yeah it is because I, I like my hot chocolate on a cold day but i am going to go with the cold beverage on a hot day when you have a hot beverage you're risking the chance of burning your mouth yeah you are but it also warms my body in cold weather temporarily yeah there's few things better than a hot day when you get an ice cold beverage and you do that. <sighs> That's true. You don't do that with a hot beverage. From the 636, what's better? A cinnamon crunch bagel from St. Louis Bread Company or bread a sliced. Bread sliced. It's of the course. only way. It's the only way. Of course. Or a glazed donut from Schnooks. Well, it's got to be the glazed donut from Schnooks, which is the best bakery in town, by the way. It is confirmed. Um yeah, but I think as much as I love the glazed donut from Schnucks, I think if you give me the option just in general of a bagel or a donut, uh-huh. I'm going bagel. I, I like bread. <laughs> I like bread. <laughs> What's wrong with that? From the 636, what's better, Dylan Carlson winning NL Rookie of the Year or Jordan Cairo winning the Calder Trophy? I'm going to go Dylan Carlson winning Rookie of the Year, although it would be cool if Kairou would win the Calder. I think that if Carlson has that level of success, he's going to contribute more to Cardinal success than Kairou would winning the Calder. Completely agree. If Dylan Carlson is to that level, where is this Cardinals team? Probably mm-hmm. in a pretty good spot. From the 618, what's better, Thanksgiving or Christmas? Oh, Christmas. Thanksgiving is the most overrated holiday on the calendar. Oh, no, you cannot, not. you cannot tell me otherwise. We've already had this discussion many, many moons ago, but the menu is overrated on Thanksgiving. It's overrated. And think about this. You're eating so much that you make yourself feel bad. You are eating so much that physically you have to lay down. You're trying to make yourself feel uncomfortable. Yes, it's great to get a day off during the week. But two for us. Two for us. That's right. Two for us. Two for a lot of people. That but that part Christmas about it is that, great. Christmas is that way too. Exactly. But Thanksgiving, give me Halloween. Give me Easter. No way. Clearly, give me Christmas. Oh, no way. Give it's me St. Patrick's Day. One, Easter. You give me turkey over ham every single day and twice on Sunday. Mm. Easter Sunday included. I would suggest that. Number one, not only is Thanksgiving dinner really good, and I do agree with you that turkey generally, turkey in and of itself is overrated, but the the leftovers from Thanksgiving are spectacular. It's a gift that keeps on giving. 
And <laughs> a lot of people just like quick and done. And that's what Thanksgiving is. You have it on Thursday and then it's done. Christmas, while joyous, it lasts a month because you're shopping, you're getting your decorations up. And then all of a sudden, all that work you put in and on December 26th, over. Spoken like someone who probably hasn't thrown down in the kitchen the entire time for Thanksgiving, Randy. Oh, I do. I know you do. You're a chef. But you act like that's one day that you just wake up and you prepare everything that day. You have to make the menu. If you're cooking for a lot of people, there's a lot of prep work that goes in. And think about the stress of trying to get the turkey cooked at the same time as the sides and trying to make sure that everything is going off without a hitch just so everyone can eat and then lay around and watch football. At least with Christmas. Christmas, there's more activities involved, at least with my family. And you get gifts on Christmas. Come on. And you get to give gifts, and which you get is to give great. Gifts. Yeah. We generally don't have chocolate pie on Christmas, which we do on Thanksgiving. So that right there makes it better. That's what's better. <laughs> From the 573, what's better? Paying off the last payment on your house or paying off the last payment on your school student loans? Oh, probably a great feeling for both. Mm-hmm. But I would say your house, right? Yeah, it's a it's generally a bigger investment unless you've gone to postgraduate school and become a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. But I would think that the, when you start making payments on a house, you buy a house with the knowledge that you can handle it. When you start with student loans, I mean, you get your first one when you're 18. Yeah. And... If you look at the big picture, I would think the student loan, because you're running into the land of the unknown with a student loan. And at least with the house, you're living in it and enjoying it, mm-hmm. it the entire time that you're paying it off. Whereas with your student loans, a lot of times you're paying those bad boys off far after you're done with college. Right, exactly. <laughs> From the 618, what's better, winning a championship more than once or being a multi-time all-star? Championship. Championships, yeah. Who would ever choose being an all-star over winning a championship? If you are primarily money motivated, then being a multi-time all-star that gets you the opportunity to get the big money is probably more of a a carrot out there for that that particular athlete. True, but if you win a championship, you likely get a championship bonus. Think about things that happen after that, perhaps endorsements, events, other things that you get paid for. And that inherently raises your value, whether it's with your team or with another team, because you are a championship caliber player. It absolutely makes a difference. There is value in having one. From the 314, what's better, a goalie shutout or a pitcher shutout? The harder thing to get these days is the pitcher shutout, yeah, so I'm, I would go with that. Same. I'm going with the, with the pitcher shutout, too. I mean, Brian Elliott's got like 42 shutouts now in the NHL. I don't think that there's a pitcher in Major League Baseball that has 42 shutouts. No, I don't think so. Wow, that's a great number for him. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah. From the 636, what's, be- what's better, the top five barbecue joints in Kansas City or the top five barbecue joints in St. Louis? I mean, All due respect to Casey. It's St. Louis. It is so St. Louis. Again, wow, this is just me calling things overrated. We should just name this segment to what does Michelle think is overrated. Um, The St. Louis barbecue scene is incredible. I've never had a bad piece of barbecue here in St. Louis. There's so many places that if people are coming to town, you say, here's a list of five places you cannot go wrong there. Now, 
I will say this. Q39 in Kansas City ha- has the best wings I've ever had in my entire life. It was outstanding. Okay? I still think about those wings. But I'm not going to name the other place. But I did go one other time to a place that was very hyped in Kansas City. I Arthur wait- Bryant? I'm not going to say what it is. And no, it was not. I was. I waited in the line. What's the other one? The I, other big name one? I got it. And I went, really? This is it? It wasn't that great. I'm just telling you. Uh, is, is it Gates? Gates, there you go. Is that, that had to be it. Mm-mm. Really? I'm not telling. I'm not saying any names. Okay. It was not. It was fine. It was not bad, but it was fine. I think there's just a difference in style too. I'm definitely more of a sweet than a spicy barbecue guy, and I think St. Louis is a lot more sweet. Yeah. And Casey is a, a lot more spicy. And smoky a lot yeah. of times, mm-hmm. and maybe it's because I'm a St. Louis girl, and my palate is. You know, so that I like St. Louis barbecue. So the barbecue I got in Kansas uh, City. I think you just like better barbecue. I think so too. I'm telling you. And I tell everybody when you think about the barbecue scene, you think Memphis, you think Kansas City, maybe Carolina, Texas barbecue. St. Louis is right up there with all of them. Yep. Throw some respect on the St. Louis barbecue. Oh, man, our friend Mike Johnson with uh, Sugar Fire is awesome. Pappy's oh, is yeah. great. What's the one on the... Uh, Salt and Smoke. Salt and Smoke is spectacular. Uh, the one in Soulard that uh, we went to. Bogarts. It's fantastic. Yeah, there are a lot of... I wonder... Anyway. Yeah. There's so many good spots. Oh, um, shoot. What's the one from Bell... Beast? Mm-hmm. Beast Barbecue, yeah. the one from Belleville, and obviously in the Grove now. So many. Did you name Sugar Fire? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Sorry, I was reading the text line. No problem. I was going to say, give them a shout out. This from the 636. The Q39 wings are the best, and I still dream about them. If you're ever in Kansas City, (laughs) you must get these wings. They're award-winning wings. The waitress came to the table, and I said, what what should we get? This is supposed to be the spot. What should we get? And she goes, you cannot get out of here without trying these wings. They are award-winning wings. Talk about a great diet idea, just dreaming about food rather than really eating it. But don't you think if you're dreaming about something, it's going to propel you to go eat it? Yeah. You're putting the thought will put you in motion. Isn't that what the secret says? What you think about is what you attract and what you do. So if you're thinking about wings 24-7, dreaming about wings, you're subconsciously going to be driving by sugar fire but, and make a hard right. But you can't go to Q39 unless you're willing to drive three and a half hours. Oh, so you're th- dreaming about specific wings yeah. that are far away. Yeah. Okay, there, there you go. That's a good <laughs> diet plan. Another really good one. My dad and I, it's the same people as Pappy's, but we went to Dailies the other day. Mm-hmm. Really good. Okay, good tip. Thank you very much. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Emily, great job as always. Thank you. Coming up, the Cardinals tied the Marlins yesterday 7-7. Are there early red flags about this Cardinal pitching staff? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, we're only about a week into spring training, and there's a lot of time left. There's essentially... Four weeks of games remaining in Cardinal spring training, three and a half weeks. But that being said, we are an overreaction baseball town, right? Mm -hmm. Naturally. And when you look at what's happening, yesterday, KK had another rough outing. When you look at Cardinal starting pitching, KK, an earned run average of 21. Flaherty with an earned run average of 27. Gant, who has a chance at the rotation, 7.71. Carlos Martinez, 32.4. The guys that the Cardinals are, and obviously Michaelis hasn't pitched yet. Mm-hmm. The guys who 
are expected to start for the Cardinals. Not off to a good start here in spring training. No, and while we always preach to take a deep breath, take any pitching outing in spring training with a grain of salt. We're talking about practice here. They're they're trying to work <laughs> out. Practice. We're talking about practice. They're trying to work out the kinks. It is kind of concerning when you are continuously seeing Cardinals pitchers go out there and labor. Adam Wainwright's the only person that yeah, you've seen where, where you think he's ready to go. He could pitch tomorrow in a, in a game situation, in a real game situation, and be fine. And while I don't want to overreact, I'm certainly starting to get some movement on the concern Richter scale. We'll put it that way. And yesterday, KK, whose forte last year was fooling guys. They hadn't Mm -hmm. seen him before. He goes two and a third. He allows four runs on six hits in two and a third. So he recorded seven outs and he allowed six hits and at least got to the second inning. And Mike Schilt said, looked a little better there. You know, when guys are just getting their first couple outings and and getting on that dirt on on the mound, you know, it takes a while to find out what that rhythm looks like and get everything in sync again and hitters. And, you know, it looks like first inning, you know, battling them a little bit. But then then after that, it looked like more KK set into a groove, you know, looked more like himself, you know, and uh, was able to execute some pitches. And I was really pleased, better as he went. Yeah, it's nice to get better as you went, as you go. But if you get into a regular season game and you're allowing four runs in an inning, You've got a real uphill climb. About 90%, I think. It's 85% of the teams that score first. No, it's not that high. Maybe 75% of the teams that score first win the game. So you have to be good in the first inning. Yeah, you should. We don't like those odds. No. We don't like those odds working against the Cardinals if their their pitchers aren't looking great out of the gate. And since we don't know who the fifth starter is going to be out TBD, if you look at the other four guys, even though Adam Wainwright looks great, and I have... No worries about him, at least early on. To me, the question is, what's it going to look like as the season progresses? You, even even though he's giving you zero reason to wonder, Father Time is lurking at some point. Mm-hmm. So that's the question yeah. that I have for him. I think Jack Flaherty will figure it out. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. I'm not concerned about Jack Flaherty. Michaelis is obviously a huge question mark, which leaves KK as a massive X factor in this rotation. So if KK doesn't have the same tools in his tool bag this year from the the pacing or fooling guys or maybe they have more of a book on him and he's not as effective for the Cardinals that could really be interesting in the way that it shakes out with this rotation and with the injury to Michaelis Michelle Daniel Ponce de Leon has emerged as a legitimate candidate for the starting rotation yesterday he goes two innings allows a run on three hits but did strike out four and Shell was asked yesterday about getting guys ready for a starting routine he came in, got plenty of time. You know, we know we're going to start him with a clean inning. Um, and we gave him the time like we give any of the guys that are getting built up um, as starters that are that are getting the work in, a, in more of a piggyback situation, as we call it. But um, if you noticed, he was, he was getting loose, you know, and well in advance, and he was able to go through his starter's routine. Instead of starting the first, he just happened to start, you know, the inning that he came in on. So... And he had a chance to build up. We'd have liked to have gotten to three, but, you know, he's got 47 pitches and, and uh, second time out, just uh, not a good recipe to throw him back out there just to, the, just to build up another, uh, you know, time up when he's, you know, at a 50-pitch limit. So, um, but, yeah, you know, there's not enough absolute starts to go around for everybody. Um, but we also feel like that, you know, they're getting their body of work and they're getting their starter routine in, um, which can, you know, basically represent – a start as close as possible, even though it's not an absolute start. 
So 47 pitches, 31 strikes for Ponce de Leon, but it was in just two innings. And Schulte did say that he and the rest of the staff need to be more efficient. Yeah, let's don't minimize it that we need to be efficient with our pitches. And, um, you know, listen, we talk about wanting to go deep in games, want to talk about recovery, want to talk about a lot of different things. Um, you know, pitchers' ability to be self-efficient and be able to, um, you know, control counts, work ahead. Yeah, I, I can't minimize the fact that that needs, to, that needs to improve, and I'm confident that it will. I'm glad he's confident that it will. I think hopefully as guys get more deeper into spring training and closer to opening day, even though it's really getting close, we are right, mm-hmm. kind of right around the corner, that things will start to round into form. But I guess my question is this, Randy. What if it doesn't? What if at the tail end of spring training, right before we're getting ready to open the season, the Cardinals pitchers haven't turned the corner? Are you still concerned? Yes. I, I, am, I would I am be scared. Too. And here's the thing. I don't need to have them build up to go seven innings because in 2021, pitchers aren't going to go seven innings. The, the select few will. I just need them to give me a good start, get me through four with a chance to win the game. That mm-hmm. shouldn't be too difficult. 12 outs, 15 outs would be great. If I can get 15 outs and at the end of those five innings have a chance to win the game, I'm a happy camper. But right now, when you're allowing four in the first, it's not great. No, you don't want to start in that hole. Yeah, Yeah, you need to be more effective and efficient. And again, it it is really early, and the Cardinals have a long way to go in spring training. But throw strikes, be efficient, work fast, and get through it. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Little game of take it or leave it is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, Randy, Emily here, and Michelle, as we know. Heading into his age 28 season, Dak Prescott has signed a four-year contract worth $160 million with the Dallas Cowboys. Prior to Dak Prescott, the primary starters for the Cowboys were Tony Romo, who finished his career as a member of the Cowboys, Troy Aikman, who finished his career as a member of the Cowboys, Danny White, who finished his career as a member of the Cowboys, Roger Staubach, who finished his career as a member of the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Take it or leave it. Dak Prescott finishes career finishes his career as a member of the Cowboys. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. I am too. I think if what happens, if what we anticipate is going to happen with Deshaun happens, that the door is going to be open for far more quarterback movement than we've ever seen. We've already seen a lot so far this season. Mm-hmm. But I think if Deshaun gets his way and lays the groundwork in a lot of ways for forcing a team and forcing his way out that we might see Dak get to the point where he's looking at his prospects of winning in Dallas and doesn't think it's going to happen. I agree with you. I think he'll wind up elsewhere. However, that being said, perhaps the most glorious position in American sports is being a Cowboys quarterback that wins a Super Bowl. Oh, no doubt. So if he does that, then he'll absolutely end his career there. But he can't do it alone. Right. He needs some support support yeah. around him. And now that young defense has, they let Byron Jones go last year. Van Der Esch is hurt all the time. Sean Lee isn't what he was. Heck, their best defensive lineman last year was Alden Smith. So that defense isn't what it was three or four years ago. And their offensive line is getting older too. What was once the best offensive line in the league isn't, well, it was all beat up last year, but they aren't near what they were. 
Take it or leave it, you have more confidence in our Miami Dolphins getting to a Super Bowl before the Cowboys do. I'll take that because our Miami Dolphins owner has gotten out of the way now. Mm -hmm. He's not meddling and he's allowing the front office to run the draft. He's allowing Flo to coach. Uh, for those of you uninitiated, Flo is our coach, Brian Flores. Yeah, that's right, Flo. And so, yeah, I think that the Cowboys, because they actually do have, for lack of a better term, football people running the show, I think they do have a better chance. Emily, what do we got? From the 636, take it or leave it, Mizzou football will make a final before Mizzou basketball. Mm, good one. I'm going to take it. Even though that's no disrespect to Mizzou hoops, but actually, ooh, that one's now that I'm marinating on it, it's really Nick Saban's in your conference. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what just popped up in my brain. And as I was thinking through it, I thought, well, he's not going to be there forever. And then I thought, there's no way that Eli Drinkwitz outlasts or Eli Drinkwitz at Mizzou is going to outlast Nick Saban at Alabama. What I mean by that is. I would be surprised if Drinkwitz doesn't pop off somewhere else before yeah. Nick Saban retires. And you have to think that with what Saban has built there, the next coach will be able to ride those coattails for a long time at Alabama, too. Urban Meyer, Ryan Day style. Yeah. By the way, how much of a disaster is Kansas football? Oh, my goodness. With, Bad. Yeah, Les Miles out now. If you haven't heard, last night they reached a mutual agreement. I think he was fired for him to leave. They have won more than they have not won more than three games in a season since 2009, Michelle. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, and we didn't even mention Charlie Weiss. <laughs> that's right. Ooh, those contracts—that's a lot of money. Charlie that's, Weiss got a lot of money for losing. How much? We—I'm sure this is out there somewhere. We can find it. How much money has Kansas sunk into that football program? Oh man, a lot. A lot. Yeah. We're gonna. We're gonna get on that in the break but if you're a mizzou fan that has to make you smile now yeah I, i'm sure mizzou fans are over the moon about that they should hire kevin sumlin by the way there's an m-i-z-z-o-u emily right there Let's wearing the, the mizzou gear uh even even though kevin sumlin lost his game 70 to his last game 70 to 7 as the head coach at arizona he's the logical he's the guy that's out there that you just hire and say okay build an offense get us the next jff Pay him if you have to. Win more than three games. <laughs> Pay him if you have to. If you have to. But Kansas well, is saying, we've already sunk a lot of money into this program. We've written a lot of checks. Why do we need to pay the next JFF? And then get busted for it and then have sanctions? Okay, would you rather get to a bowl game and get busted three years down the road or stay three and nine for the rest of your definitely existence? Get, definitely bowl game, definitely take, busted. Take the bowl game, yeah. If, if I'm Kansas, definitely, definitely the bowl game. Absolutely. <laughs> definitely the bowl game. From the 217, take it or leave it, Fitz comes back to our Dolphins. I'm going to leave that. I think Fitz winds up making the tour of the AFC East and winds up in New England. Already started for Buffalo, the Jets, and the Dolphins. I don't wonder if this is the end of the road for him. Even though he could still play, I don't wonder if we see him say sayonara. It's funny, a few years ago with the Jets, when he was contemplating not re-signing and was talking about retirement, he said, I got all these classmates from Harvard that are making a whole lot more money than I am. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> from the 636, take it or leave it, Lane Thomas has a chance to start on opening day. I'll take that, especially with our guy Harrison Bader having some injury issues. That's Supposed right. to be back in the lineup today, but Thomas is having a good spring. He is. 
But I think if Harrison Bader is given the okay, we won't see it. Agreed. This one is so wild that I'm going to give it a chance. Okay. 636, take it or leave it. Matt Carpenter for Albert Pujols, straight up. I'm going to leave it. I don't think, even though they could, the Angels could save something like, what, $12 million in a deal like that. Albert's actually been more productive than Carpenter over yeah, the last couple of, of years. I think they And at least he's yeah. cha- chasing history. Yeah. Which, even though it's a high price tag, it's something you can market and build around. And the other thing is, you don't have the DH. So right. what does Albert do in St. Louis in 2020? Right. 2021, I guess. He, there's no place for him. He, he's not playing ahead of Goldschmidt. No. And he can't play anywhere else in the field anymore, and you don't have the DH. So all he is is a DH in American League Parks. You'd have no role for him. No. It's a pretty expensive no role. Yeah. From the 314, take it or leave it, the Brewers have the coolest uniforms in baseball. I'm going to leave that. Going with the Cardinals? Love the Cardinals. And particularly like the Cardinals' Saturday home cream. But uh, the Brewers are in my bottom half. They're 16 through 30. I think it's really tough to ever beat the pinstripes. The Yankees are the most classic (laughs) uniform and maybe a sport and all of sports. The Dodgers uniforms are great. The colors are great in the classic simplicity. I love the Oakland, either whether it's the green or the yellow. Great. Great uniforms in Oakland. I love the Giants and really the Orioles, orange and black. So, uh, yeah, the Brewers change every year. But I do like the Brewers uniforms. I, I know like the, that you don't love them, but the, I do like them. The Brewers glove logo is pretty cool. Oh, great. Very cool. And there are a lot of teams out there that are just blah, like Detroit. You know, they, they never change anything, and it's, it's blah. The, the Cleveland, just blah. Hate. The worst are the Arizona dark grays. Oh, my gosh. Terrible. Absolute worst. Colorado doesn't thrill me. I don't love the Marlins. No, me either. But it is kind of Miami. Yeah, but they're bottom half of, of baseball, right? Who do you think, okay, so with the Brewers, where would you put them in the NL Central from a uniform standpoint? Okay. Uh, Third? I, I would put Cards 1, Cubs 2, Pirates 3. Oh, yeah, Pirates for do me. look pretty good. And then Brewers and Reds. Reds are just boring. So they're not in the basement, but they're close. Yeah, they are. And they, they their yellow really pops. Milwaukee's yellow really pops. But yeah, I'm for it. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. And thank you very much for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. You can always reach us via the text line, via the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. If you want to do the social media, you can find Michelle on the Insta and on the uh, Twitter at M Smallman. I'm on the Insta at RJ Carricker. How's the pursuit going? Should we take a look at that? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Uh, Just a reminder. Trying to, trying to increase my Insta following, my what we're calling my social media footprint. That's right. And right now, Randy uh, doesn't have enough followers, 2142. So if you're on the Instagram, just go to RJ Carricker and just follow me. Indulge me. Make me happy. So on Friday, when we have Danny Mack in the studio, he was talking about you going I.O. with Joan, your yeah, wife. Yeah, she wouldn't do it. Which means Instagram official, Danny yeah. Mac on Friday. Yeah. So your wife would not go I.O. with you. No. How does that make you feel, Randy? Not great. How long have you guys been married? Uh, this will be 30-something years. And she won't go mm-hmm. I.O.? No. Are you questioning why? No. Well, I know why, because she's not a social media person. Is she not on Instagram? She is not, no. Now, So you could post it and she wouldn't know? 
is what I'm getting. She wouldn't even let me take a picture. Of her hand? Because yeah. that's what Dan wanted was both yep. of your hands. Yep, wouldn't even do that. Wow. Yeah, I know. Wait till she's sleeping. That's not a bad idea. Just hold her hand. Give her a roofie. <laughs> oh, Brandy, no. Oh, my <laughs> Just God. Just take a picture of her hand. No. She Let's won't remember. never, ever condone that. <laughs> For a picture of a hand. Let's just not procure and roofies. And we're married. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that you're married. We should not have anyone procuring <laughs> and or giving anyone okay. roofies ever for any reason, even if it's just a photo yeah. of the hand. And by the way, we're having this competition with my dog, Darby Shaw. Uh, she has 2,516 followers. Michelle, she is following, Darby Shaw is following 3,136 Instagrams. Oh, so she's playing the I follow you, you follow me game. Yes, she is. Randy, on the other hand, follows 111. That's right, more selective. You want to make sure that timeline is curated. Exactly. So please, if you follow people, I'll turn out some good, I'll turn out good content for you today. The other day. Talk about quality content that you just don't know. Yeah. So now you know via radio. Sunday morning, walking past a group of geese. I said, hey, what is a group of geese? We're walking the dogs. What is a group of geese called? Isn't it a gaggle? Yeah. Indeed, a gaggle on the ground, geese. on the ground, oh. a group of geese called a gaggle. Okay. However, when they're flying, they're called either a skein, S-K-E-I-N, a team, or a wedge. But they're a gaggle on the ground. Interesting. So now you know. And that was content on the Insta at RJ Character that you just can't find anywhere else. So to recap, you're going to get geese content on Randy's Instagram, so follow him at RJ Character. and roofies are bad. We do yeah, not condone bad. roofies. Even if you just want to take a picture of somebody's no. hand. No, roofies, no. We need to make that explicitly clear. <laughs> roofies are awful. Let's never roofie anyone. Not even for a photo of a hand. No, no, no. <laughs> Coming up, the Blues fall to the Sharks 3-2 in overtime last night. And the Blues finish their California trek in pretty good shape. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Is 8.04 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and the Blues fall 3-2 in overtime last night to the San Jose Sharks. But, Michelle, they did finish their California trip with four wins, no regulation losses, and two overtime losses. So out of the 12 points that were available on the trip, the Blues came up with 10. That's not bad. Not bad at all. And certainly more than I think a lot of people were expecting heading into this road trip, considering the wave after wave of injuries that the Blues were having to deal with. But going, even though you want the last two games back, back to back overtime losses for the Blues, where they had opportunities, not only during the game, but both in overtime, the chance was right there for them. But to go 4-0-2 and, and get points in every game on this road trip, and I think maybe not as importantly, but right there tied for first with it, is to get Vladimir Tarasenko back and have him yeah. look good, have some really positive moments and endure some hits and still be good to go. Yeah, if you're going to get a player back of all the injured players, with all due respect to everybody that is injured, he's the most important guy because he's a guy that can put a team on his back and win games for you. I might argue Colton Pareko is right yeah. up there. But Pareko's not going to go one on five. Well, he has actually gone one on five and scored against the opposition, but Vladdy's a guy that scores 37 goals. And when you're playing low-scoring games, like last night, once he gets rolling and can score a goal every other game for you, that's a huge thing as far as I'm concerned. It is. So it definitely we'll, is. But, hey, you still have the injuries, and you went 4-0-2. 
Coach Craig Bruby, what do you think of that? You know, these last two games, I think that uh, they're right there to win, um, especially with the leads. And uh, we could have done a better job there. But overall, you know, coming out of this trip the way we did is pretty good, man. With, you know, a lot of guys injured. Uh, you know, we got a lot of guys step up and play really well and uh, come in and do really well. Uh, Call-ups, things like that. So, you know, our guys did a good job. They really did. And I appreciate the demeanor that coaches had during this streak of injuries because they are trying hard. The the Mm -hmm. effort is there. The Blues are doing everything they can to win. The fact of the matter is sometimes they just aren't as good as the opposing team. Correct. But I do give a stick tap to Craig Berube for the way that he's been able to manage the team throughout this time because he knows exactly when to hold them accountable. He knows exactly when to give them a rest. He knows when to... For example, after this game last night, yeah, he says it was there for us. We would have liked to close it out. We need to get better about digging deep and closing out games. But he he steps back and he looks at the overall picture of the road trip Absolutely. and everything the team is dealing with. And he does a very good job walking that line of pushing the players hard when he needs to, but also giving them a breather or a break when he needs to. And I just can't commend him enough for the way that he's been able to keep this team motivated and cohesive during this unbelievable stretch where they've lost so many key players. And now the Blues have played 26 games. They are second in their division in points, third in their division in winning percentage. So how does Ryan O'Reilly feel about things so far? Um, Yeah, it's been pretty good. Um, Obviously, we've played a lot more hockey than pretty much everyone. But, yeah, we've got some good points where, you know, you could tell this, you know, four-day break, I think it's going to be nice for us to kind of heal up and, and get recharged. But uh, yeah, it's been a lot of hockey. We've had guys come in, step up and and play, uh, you know, come in and make a big impact. Uh, you know, it's really showing our depth, which is great to see. But, um, yeah, we've got a lot of work left. But, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I like, uh, you know, what we're going to be able to get to. Yeah, the next games are against Vegas. And then when you get to the calendar turning to April, Michelle, seven against Minnesota, six against Colorado. I think you have three against Vegas, one against Arizona. And Braden Shen realizes the Blues' toughest games are yet to come. We've battled hard, uh, you know, to this point, but um, we all know, uh, you guys all know that our, our toughest games are yet to come with, you know, um, playing a lot of Colorado and Vegas and Minnesota and, and teams we haven't really played a whole lot of, but at the same time, we are getting ready to get bodies back. We're going to get, um, you know, some of our star players back and, and uh, you know, I think... Um, you know, this experience, what we've kind of gone through uh, this far with guys kind of being in a lineup, guys stepping up, giving opportunity, guys taking advantage of it, and, and knowing that we have to work and compete and, uh, you know, bring 60 minutes, uh, you know, to the, to the rink each night in order to get two points. And I think that's going to help us, uh, you know, uh, down the road, uh, down the stretch and into the playoffs. Did you kind of think last night the way the Blues played, especially for the first two and a half periods that was kind of the blueprint for what they'll have to do against teams like Vegas and Colorado yeah definitely that's what we're going to need to see but again as Craig Ruby says it has to be the entire game you're going to have to close it out because as great as you can be for two and a half periods it can come back to bite you and even though the Blues are going to start to get bodies back fingers crossed and we start to see some of the the guys who are out on 
<clears throat> out with injuries return, you do have a tough, tough stretch coming up. You're going to have opponents that are going to be coming at you and that have a lot more skill than some of the teams that you've been seeing. And so if you're not giving that full effort the entire time, that could be problematic. And Michelle Kerbs always talks about it. just make the playoffs. And here's what's going to happen. If the Blues are able to make the playoffs and they're able to get their team back together for the last 10 days and all of these other teams are going to be playing literally every other day, kind of mm-hmm. like the Blues did in 2019, the Blues will be fresh and those teams will be worn out. Right. And that's the advantage that hopefully the Blues will have. And one of the Blues refreshed players should be Vladimir Tarasenko. Heck, he's been out for 15 months. Now he's back. And what does he expect from himself moving forward? It's kind of, you know, everybody say this, but um, if you look on the standings, there is a pretty tight playoff picture. So you just need to win games and you have to play good. I never think that I miss so much time and, you know, I can have a slow start. I will have played as best as I can right away. I have a lot of positive emotions for coming back. So I hope I can help the team and, uh, you know, score some goals. And even though he hasn't scored, I think he looks terrific. He does. And I like how he ended it with help the team and score some goals. Yeah. Well, that's pretty important. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. Hey, that's and why you're making seven and a half million, buddy. That's right. But I think even <laughs> though he he looked really good there, you saw the oper- he had some opportunities um, and he endured the hits and he's getting back into that rhythm. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for him to score some goals. So I imagine that we'll see that soon, hopefully versus Ve- versus Vegas, right? Uh, yeah. So here's my question of you and I'm gonna, I'll give you my opinion. But they've got two against Vegas coming up. Then they're back to the West Coast at L.A. for two, at San Jose for two. Then they're at Vegas for one, at Minnesota for one. And then they get Anaheim back here. So teams that you should beat present in your next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. In your next ten games, teams that you should beat, you're going to be playing six of those. How do you feel about that? I think the Blues, I'll give you my opinion first here. I I think the Blues can easily come away again with 14 points out of the next 20 that are available. I feel really good about the state of the Blues right now. To think about what we're seeing out of them with so many key guys still out and then to think that you could have those guys return at some point makes me feel positive about them. But I think we're going to learn a lot about them when they play a team like Vegas. Yes, we are. And this isn't the real Blues that are going to play Vegas this weekend. That's right. The series that will probably tell us the most, May 7th and 8th, last two games of the season, the regular season at Vegas. That's when hopefully you have your real team taking on the uh, Golden Knights who will not beat the Blues in the playoffs. You're calling it here. You just heard it. Yep. Okay. That just happened. Write it in Sharpie. I like that. That is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN coming up. We know what Major League Baseball fans drink the most, and it's not who you might think, and you might not drink as much as you think. That's next <laughs> on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> talked a lot over the course of the last couple of weeks about how thankful we'll be to be able to get back to a ballpark and spend $13 on a beer. Well, 
NJ Online Gambling recently surveyed 2,631 Major League Baseball fans who were over the age of 21, that's important, to learn more about their drinking habits to find out which fans and which fan bases drink the most. <laughs> out of the 30 MLB fan bases, Michelle, where would you guess Cardinal fans fall? Number one. No. What? We're the home of Anheuser-Busch. This is one of the best, if not the best, beer city in the world. People love their beer at the ballpark. Cardinal fans are 26th what? in baseball, averaging 2.8 drinks per game and spending an average of $28. This doesn't add up because the, I know the average person going to a baseball game in St. Louis is having more than 2.8 beers. Absolutely. And interestingly... Cardinal fans are at the top of the list in terms of pregame. Ah, there you go. 68% of Cardinal fans, which is second most in Major League Baseball, are pregamers. So with the history of patios and able to go to the Soulard area and get shuttles over to the ballpark or going to Ballpark Village, pregame is much bigger for Cardinal fans than it is for Major League Baseball. The fans that drink most during a game, as you might expect if you think about it a little bit, are White Sox fans Mm. who have to go endure that team on the south side of Chicago. It's a fun team now. Yeah, they are. And they might even drink more now. Braves are second. Reds are third. Cleveland is fourth. Padres, surprisingly, are fifth in terms of alcohol consumption during a baseball game. So this is making sense to me because we know Cardinals fans will make a day of it or an evening of it. If you're going to a game, it's all encompassing. You're going to go a little early, most likely park. Yeah. Visit one of the watering holes around the stadium, then make your way into the ballpark, then have your 2.8 beers Mm -hmm. and, and go home. But I think if you look at the White Sox, I've been to a game there and there's nowhere to drink around the stadium there. They don't have a setup that, like Good the point. Cardinals do. So unless you're drinking on the train, there's really no other opportunity for you to drink other than drinking at the ballpark. I hadn't really put that in perspective. So that's a good point. Yeah, that stadium's just kind of there. Yeah. There's no, there's no, it's not like Wrigleyville where there's bars all surrounding the stadium or Fenway or Bush mm-hmm. Stadium you know, a lot of these stadiums today are built with that in mind. They want to be in an area of town where people can walk around and it's more of an event. Um, but yeah, we, what's it called? Guaranteed rate field? Right. Yeah, that's that's out there. Here's another surprising thing, especially in light of the fact that when you go to a typical Cardinal game, you'll see many T-shirts that say, I live in a drinking town with a baseball problem. <laughs> and according to this survey... Cardinal fans rank 27th for biggest lightweight drinkers, with 18% of Cardinal fans admitting to having missed some or all of a game due to drinking too much. 18%. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which is 27th in baseball. Who's number one? Who's the biggest lightweight fan base in baseball? Let's see. The Cubs are nine. Let me get the uh, list here. Uh, I had my list. I've got pregame. Well, oh, here's, here's the lightweight. Okay. okay. Uh, number one lightweight, again, the White Sox, hmm. 49%. So they're, so they're drinking the most, but they're missing, leaving the, the earliest? The yep. White Sox are the biggest lightweights. Then the Reds, Rockies, Cleveland, Miami, Detroit. And then rounding out the lightweight list are Baltimore fans, Royals fans, Cubs, Mets, Pirates, and Braves. 
I would imagine Orioles fans do want to leave a little early. I would think so, you yeah. Know, you probably drink. go to Camden Yards just to drink these days. Yeah, wow. We get a text from the 314, Randy, that I think is a pretty good point. A lot of families go to Bush Stadium to, yep. to watch a baseball game, less likely to drink heavily when you're there with your kids. And along those lines, who's going to take their family to the south side of Chicago to watch a game? Well, I would imagine White Sox fans would want to take their family. Yeah, to I don't know if you want to be, especially at night, you don't want to be in that ballpark with the family. With This is going to be a really fun team. I, I bet if you're a parent and your kid's been cooped up for a year, oh, yeah. that you want to take your family down to see this team. But there just isn't a lot around the field, the ballpark to do. So Except you, for sometimes crime. Yeah, well, Which, let's let's not get on our high horse oh, about no, crime I'm not, here I'm, in St. I'm, Louis. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying that... that <laughs> They have the the history of it, and they really haven't had a lot of people. That's one thing about walking out of a Cardinal game with 45,000 people as opposed to a White Sox game with 4,500 over the years Mm -hmm. is that you're much – you have historically been much more vulnerable. Are you surprised by Atlanta fans being the number two drinkers? Mm, Yes and no. I feel like people in Atlanta, at least when I was there, they like to have a good time. So that, that doesn't surprise me. Um, but I've never been to that ballpark. I don't really know what the surrounding area is like. It's a neighborhood. It's it's is suburbia. It? Huh. And they average four drinks a game, 32 bucks. Here's another point to be made here. Uh, in terms of average expenditure per game, the Mets are number one in expenditure at $53 a game mm-hmm. for drinks. Three and, a half, three and a half drinks cost 53 bucks. That is crazy. Well, they... They gotta afford those players now. <laughs> but if you dr- if you drink three thirteen dollar be- beers, that's forty nine, right? Whew. Here in St. Louis, man, thirteen. Is that right? Twenty? No, thirty nine. We're not allowed to do math. We've already okay. established that. It's yeah, up there. Yeah. Thirty nine. But you would imagine prices would be highest in New York or L. A. That's just right. normally how things go. And those four point two drinks for a White Sox fan cost forty six bucks. And I, I want to look at the Yankees because ordinarily you would think that the Yankees are going to be the most expensive. Mm-hmm. They're in the middle of the pack, averaging 3.1 drinks per game. And those 3.1 drinks cost less than $10 a drink at $29 for the Yankees. Really? Yeah. So that's a mild surprise. That is a mild surprise. And the the fan base that drinks the least. I was waiting for this one. Shocking. It's Phillies fans. No. 2.4 drinks per game at 23 bucks a pop. How can you be throwing that many batteries when you don't drink? I assume. Now, are they on the list of biggest pre-gamers? Are they in the top 10? Uh, pre-game. Because we know Philly fans notoriously rowdy, and I just assume that that comes with alcohol. Yeah, they are not uh, among the biggest pre-gamers. So they're not even pre-gaming. They're just, in general, not drinking that much. Right. Wow. That is a shock. I think that might be the most shocking thing you've told me during this segment. Yeah, because you would absolutely think that Philadelphia fans have to be drunk to commit some of the actions that they do. And then the fun that they have, like with the... The fan base that they have that has like the, the Wolf Pack and Padilla's Flotilla and uh, all, all of those different groups that show up at games, you'd think that they'd be big time drinkers. You can kind of get why Oakland fans uh, wouldn't drink as much. They aren't out there as much. They're sitting in the sunlight mm-hmm. a lot. Giants fans, I think Giants fans, actually, they're, they're drinking white wine, though, and they're third from <laughs> the bottom in terms of 
drinks per game. They're drinking a beautiful Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Now, uh, one team I am curious about, because when I think about great beer towns and and fun baseball Mm -hmm. towns and places to go, right there with St. Louis, I wonder about a beer town like Milwaukee. I would imagine people in Wisconsin, they love to drink. Middle of the pack. They average three and a half drinks. Actually, they're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth. They're tenth. Hmm. Their drink averages exactly $10 per. Three and a half drinks, 35 bucks. So... 10th, and the Cardinals are 26th. Wow. 65780, do you feel like, as a Cardinal fan, you're being shortchanged here in being listed as the number 26 drinking fan base in Major League Baseball? And when the Cardinals are number two as far as pregames go, I wonder if that's even before they take an Uber down to the ballpark area. That's a lot of pregaming. Are you meeting your buddy at your house? You're having a Bud Light, then you're catching an Uber, and then you're going to Ballpark Village to then go to the stadium. And this from the 314, this doesn't take into consideration the booze fans are sneaking in. Nobody pays for booze in the loo. Whoa, really? And historically, I don't want to spoil it for people, but you can take a cooler into Bush Stadium, which you can't do at most ballparks. With beer? A soft cooler. Um, I don't know if beer, but like if you have two beers... A little pro tip here. Two beers on the bottom and two waters on top of those beers. They're going to see the water. They're not going to dig in there? No, they don't have time to dig in there. Really? Yeah, just saying. <laughs> Look at Randy with the hot tip on how to smuggle beer into the ballpark. <laughs> uh, now from the 314, if the drinks weren't so expensive, perhaps I would drink more. And that's part of pre-gaming, right? Going to one of the surrounding establishments and pre-gaming for a little bit less than at the ballpark. Absolutely. It's an experience. You want to get together with your friends or your family, go somewhere downtown, maybe grab a beer, maybe grab a bite to eat. And that's what's great about having those places around the stadium is then you can park by the place that you're eating or drinking prior and then just walk walk to Bush Stadium, which again, if you're in Chicago and you're a White Sox fan, that's not an option. But if you're a Cubs fan, you can do stuff like that. You can take the yeah. train into Wrigleyville and you can grab a beer before the game and head in. So I understand from a logistics standpoint why somewhere like, you know, the White Sox and their fans would be at the top of this list. But even with the pre-gaming, I thought Cardinals fans would be higher on this list. I did too. I can't believe that and maybe Cardinal fans are just lying about how much they drink. I don't know. I think the point that we got from the 314, though, about families going is a pretty salient point because it is something that you that you do here in St. Louis. As you go to the ballpark with your family, parents want to pass that tradition down to their kids. And while there's certainly a group of fans that are going to be in Bush Stadium night in and night out that want to get rowdy, I imagine if it's a weeknight baseball game, your chances of having the higher percentage of people there be mm-hmm. family-oriented is probably pretty high. We did get a text asking where the Cardinals rank in terms of beer prices, and this is as of 2019 because nobody was in ballparks last year. 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th. And by the way, the Major League average is uh, 5.97, and the Cardinals are 18th, 19th, 20th, 21, 22. Cardinals... Average, I don't know how they they get this, is five dollars a beer. Well, that you is, think that's legit? That is incorrect. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Five dollars a beer. If yep. someone can tell me where the five dollar beer stand is at Bush Stadium, that would be great. Six yep. five seven eight zero. Oh.
because I would like to go there. Mets are listed as the most expensive beer at $11 and the least expensive in Major League Baseball, the Rockies at 3 And the Cardinals considered below average. This is by Statista.com. Oh, Statista. This one from the 314, Randy. Another great point from the BLIS, the best listeners in sports. If it wasn't 103 degrees for half the games, the numbers would be higher. That's why the pre-gaming is so high, because people want to drink in the air conditioning before the ballpark, where they head to the ballpark. That's another great point. It is. It does get very toasty. So we're smart here in St. Louis. That's right. And you don't really want to be outside in because you have to hydrate. So you have the beer That's inside right. and then the water outside. That's right. You you have a couple beers pregame in the AC. You're feeling good. You go to the ballpark. That's when you hydrate. That's the play. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And congratulations on being number 26. Should we? Is that a congratulatory item? Congratulations on being number two in pre-gaming St. Louis. Yes, well done. That's right. Next up, the fight coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 835. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it is time for the fight. Emily, I was out yesterday. Did Randy win the fight yesterday? He did. He did. Do you remember the score? Uh, Off the top of my head, I think it was... He won. He got all four of them. Okay, that's what I need to know. Yeah, he, he got all four. So he, he got s- all four. So he started the week off cooking. Yes. Okay, that's what I needed to know. Thank you, Emily. Absolutely. Let's welcome in Randy's challenger today. Ben is with us. What's up, Ben? How are you? I'm doing well. And do everyone know? What'd you say, Ben? You cut out there. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm doing well. How's everyone doing in that in the studio? You know what? It's just Emily and I right now. And we're having a great Tuesday. Thank you for asking. Are you ready to take on Randy? Uh, I think I am. Okay, Ben, let's get it rolling. Question number one. Dak Prescott and the Cowboys agreed to a four-year, $160 million contract yesterday. Where did Dak Prescott play college football? Is it Ole Miss, Mississippi State, or LSU? Um, he was at Ole Miss, I believe. On this day in 1995, Tampa Bay was awarded an expansion MLB team. What was their original name? Was it the man- uh, Sorry, can you repeat the question one one time? Sure thing, and I'll, I'll give you the options as well. On this day in 1995, Tampa Bay was awarded an MLB expansion team. What was their original name? Was it the Manta Rays, the Devil Rays, or the Sting Rays? That would be the Devil Rays. All right, Ben, Deion Sanders is the only man to ever play in both a Super Bowl and a World Series. He won titles with the Cowboys and 49ers, but came up short in 1992 with which Major League Baseball team? Was it the Yankees, the Reds, or the Braves? Um, let's go Yankees. Well, all right. You don't seem very confident, Ben. The, the tone of your I voice don't. leads me to believe that that was a wild guess on your part. It sure was. <laughs> and which hard-hitting blues defenseman was referred to as the spark? Was it Barkley Plager, Bob Plager, or Al Arbor? Uh, Bobby Plager. All right. We are checking our score. <laughs> and Randy is on his way in here. 
Also, shout out to the BLIS, again, the best listeners in sports. We were talking about drinking at the ballpark heading in, and someone said there was $5 beers at the ballpark. And we asked everybody, hey, let us know where are the $5 beers. And as Randy gets settled in here, it's the Bowtie Bar. So if you're looking for a $5 beer at the ballpark, head to the Bowtie Bar. Bowtie Bar it is. Bowtie Bar it is. Once you're allowed back in Bush Stadium, starting at the home opener. We should uh, see if we can broadcast from there. Like for a, a day game sometime this year. That would be great. I would it's love to do that. fun place to be. And then after the show is over, $5 beers. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> Randy, please say good morning to Ben. Ben, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Everything's great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We do appreciate it. All right, Randy. Mm-hmm. Question number one. Dak Prescott and the Cowboys agreed to a four-year, $160 million contract yesterday. Where did Dak play college football? He played for Dan Mullen at Mississippi State. On this day in 1995, Tampa Bay was awarded an expansion MLB team. What was their original name? The Devil Rays. Randy, Deion Sanders is the only man to ever play in both a Super Bowl and a World Series. Mm -hmm. He won titles with the Cowboys and 49ers, but he came up short in 1992 with which Major League Baseball team? The Atlanta Braves. And which hard-hitting Blues defenseman was referred to as the Spark? Uh, Bark the Spark? Barkley Plager. Emily, ring the bell. We got a winner. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker! Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. All right, Emily, what do you got there? What's going on? We have an issue? Yes, I... I Bulletin, apparently official. Sorry, I had called the wrong number, actually. Oh, okay. So this is a different fighter than the guy I had reached out oh, to. So, so we will have him tomorrow. Okay. That's my bad. There were two Bens that oh. had texted me. Okay, cool. Good. <laughs> That's completely That's my fault. Okay, no problem. But Ben, it's it's been great to have you with us. Yes, Ben. Hey, hey Thank you. you know, it's always fun to be on a contest you didn't know you entered. That's right, Ben. But what are, what are the odds? But you know what, Ben? Here's the good news. You weren't prepared for this, and you still got one right. So Yeah, well done. Snaps for you. Look at that. Look at that. But Randy <laughs> did beat you 4-1. to one. Let's run through our answers here. Dak Prescott played his college football at Mississippi State. The expansion team out of Tampa Bay, or Tampa Bay, not Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, was not the Manta Rays or the Stingrays, but, in fact, the Devil Rays. Deion Sanders came up short in 1992 of winning a World Series with the Atlanta Braves. And Barkley Plager was known as the Spark. That was his nickname. Ben, even though you didn't submit for this, thank you for picking up the phone, <laughs> and thank you for playing. Hey, it was my pleasure. Was this was fun. Yeah. How, what are the odds that he would be named Ben? Great. Yeah, did you know that you were calling someone named Ben? I think I had the numbers flipped, and no. I, so I, I was calling a Ben. <laughs> huh. That's great. And Thanks. when he picked it up, yeah. I, that's, yeah. that's why I had it. But ben, Thanks, you're a great ben. sport. Yeah, we thank you, Ben. It. Hey, this was great. Thank you so much. Take care. Ben with us on 101 ESPN. I hope he's a regular listener now. I think he is if he's texting into the show. He says he yeah. listens to The Point when he picked up. So I was oh, like, okay, there we go. Right down the hall, our friends are yeah. in the show on the air right now. But are they calling him randomly on a Tuesday? No, no they're not. Uh-uh, no, they're not. The we were just trying to see what Ben was up to. That's how much we care about our listeners. If they text yeah. into the show, we just want to pop in every now and then and yeah. say what's up. Text from the 314, Tampa Ray is my cousin. Tampa Ray. <laughs> yeah. Uh, from the 618, also in the Budweiser Terrace before the game, $5 beers. Okay, noted. So you can go up 
upper deck and then middle deck, I guess, second deck down is the Budweiser bow tie area, this which is, is fantastic. This is valuable information. It is. Because fans are allowed back in the ballpark, Randy, so they need to know where they can get their $5 beers. Bowtie bar. And this is uh, from the 314. I was a beer vendor in 2013 through 15. Beers were $9 each. There's nowhere in the stadium where you can get a beer for $5 except for those two areas that we mentioned. Maybe, maybe they're valuing the beer the way the tax assessor values your car. I can't imagine that they could get to an average price of $5 a beer. So maybe what these studies are showing is the least expensive beer available at Bush Stadium. Maybe. But that still surprises me that that many people would go there because I would imagine, depending on where you park, you wouldn't want to get into the stadium, go up to the mm-hmm. bow tie bar if your seat isn't anywhere near it, grab the beer, and then go all the way back to right. your seat. Yeah. That's why I think it's more likely that you're going to stop at a, an establishment outside of the ballpark before you head in, hence St. Louis being number two in pregames. Right. Thanks to Ben for joining us on the fight. Coming up, I mentioned yesterday that Tommy Parsons of the Cardinals is giving me some Kyle McClellan vibes, the guy who comes out of nowhere to make the opening day roster. We're going to talk to Kyle McClellan about that and more next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker, and we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Our friend Kyle McClellan, former Cardinal right-hander, does amazing work for the world here in St. Louis and in Haiti with his Brace for Impact 46 Foundation. You can find it at braceforimpact46.com, and you hear Kyle a lot surrounding Cardinal baseball on KMOX, and kind enough to join us this morning to talk some ball here on Carricker and Smallman. Kyle, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. It's just good to be back on the radio talking baseball. My goodness. Yeah, we're excited about the Cardinals uh, getting going here. And I, I've been watching this Tommy Parsons, an undrafted guy. He's pitched one year pro ball. So his path is a little different than yours. But you showed up at spring training, and a lot of us didn't know who Kyle McClellan was as a pitcher. And then you wind up making the team. So I'm sure that you can kind of relate to what Tommy Parsons is doing. Yeah, well, look, when I went into spring training in 2008, uh, I'd just been put on a 40 man roster. Um, I had struggled in the minor leagues for a long time, and I just kind of it just started to click when I came back from injury. And my whole mindset when I went into spring training, I, I remember Dyer Miller called me, who was our uh, pitching coordinator, and, and it was kind of talking to me about going into spring training. And I said, Dyer, my only goal in spring training is to get attention, is just to show that, look, they're going to need somebody at some point from AAA, and I want to be a guy, I want to be the first guy that they go to and say, hey, he made an impression in spring training. We're going to bring him up and give him a shot. And that was my goal when I went in, and, and uh, I did well. There was uh, some injuries and some guys that didn't perform, and next thing you know, you're on the team. So if you're in that locker room, you have a chance. You might not have a very good chance <laughs> because a lot of times these decisions are already made, but it doesn't matter. You, you have a chance, and not only just to make the team. It's not about making the team on opening day. It's about showing I can compete at this level. I, I deserve to be at this level and, and an opportunity. And when that chance comes, because we all know you're going to use several bullpen guys you know, throughout the year, and you want to be at the top of that list to show that this is where I can be and you can all of a sudden establish yourself. And Kyle, the thing that you did in spring training and the thing that Tommy Parsons appears to be showing the Cardinals now is that you throw strikes. You're efficient yeah. and you're not walking people. And that's really how you made it, isn't it? Well, you got to show you're not scared. Look, yep. my daughter's nine years old and she's second year kid pitch uh, for softball. And 
and I'm talking with her constantly about, look, you're not helping your team if you're walking because they're going to steal second, steal third, and a ground ball gets that girl in. Make them hit it. Who cares if they hit it? If your team doesn't make the play, that's okay. Make them put it in play. You can't give freebies. And it, there's no difference between a nine-year-old and a major league pitcher. It's, it's going right after guys, making quality pitches, making them put it in play, and that's going to give you your best chance. And so, you know, pitching is very simple. It, it's, hard to, it's hard to do, but it's, it's a very simple philosophy. Get ahead, throw strikes, and you're going to have more success than if you're behind and walking guys. Kyle, we talked about this earlier in the show, but the Cardinal starting pitchers haven't had ideal outings in, in spring training. They're still trying yeah. to get into that rhythm, and we're trying to take it with a grain of salt. But I'm just curious from your perspective, when you watch a pitcher go out there in spring training, what are the things that you're looking for out of his outing? Well, early on, you, you just want to see that they have fastball command because um, that's where everything else is going to stem off of. So one, do they look healthy? Is the ball coming out good? And do they have that fastball command? They should have that fastball command by the time they've done their off-season work, thrown some bullpen, some live VPs, and then they get in there and go from there. Their secondary pitches, that's going to take some time to develop and, and work on for, for these guys. Um, I think the concerning thing is when you look at a staff as a whole. Like one guy has a bad start, okay, well you can go. When everybody starts having a bad start, then I think the, the all of a sudden the walls start kind of coming in a little bit and they're all looking around at each other like, hey, can somebody go have a good start so we can breathe a little bit? Um, and, you know, Wainwright's done that. And, and, you know, Wainwright's just, he, he knows how to pitch. Um, and he has his stuff looks good. He looks sharp. But uh, for these other guys, you know, you can one turn through the rotation. Okay. The second term, we need to start seeing improvement. Um, and, and a third term, if they haven't done it, you know, then all of a sudden you're going to start having uh, having some, some serious concerns about these guys. Kyle McClellan is with us on 101 ESPN. And along those lines, Kyle, with Wayno, if one of the Cardinal pitchers came to you, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Jack Flaherty or a guy who hasn't thrown a pitch in the major leagues and says, okay, I've been given this tool named Adam Wainwright. How do I use this tool in spring training? What would you tell him? Well, I would go to Adam Wainwright and be like, hey, would it, uh, tell me about your first big league camp when you were in Atlanta and you followed John Smoltz and, and all these guys around, and what did you learn from them? And then when you came to the Cardinals, uh, how important was it to have Chris Carpenter and, uh, and guys like that, Jason Marquis, what, what kind of influence do they have on you? And then when you hear him talk about that and how he soaked it up and how much he took advantage of it and how it changed his career, uh, you better follow him around like a little puppy dog <laughs> would be my best advice. Uh, don't, don't let that time uh, go without taking advantage of it because you don't get in a major league locker room very often. You don't get access and, and, uh, to, to the point where like Adam Wainwright goes into spring training thinking, how can I use this time? Not only to get myself better, that, that's number one. I got to get myself ready for opening day. But how can I use this time to pour into as many young guys and help and possibly change the trajectory of their career through this time? So he's wanting, he's willing to, you know, give you that information. And you, you just don't want to miss an opportunity because you're, you know, afraid to go up to him, ask him questions or, you know, to uh, kind of humble yourself to go up and say, hey, can you, can you teach me a few things? Speaking of that, Kyle, we're savoring the time that we have with Yadier Molina as well. And from a, from a pitching perspective, what's one thing that Yadi does differently than everybody else? That while a pitcher can be working with Yadi and throwing to Yadi, he's looking at this experience and saying, "This is something I'm going to take away from this." Well, I think there's a young guy that just learned a lesson. You don't ever taunt him. <laughs> would be, <laughs> That's right. Would be a, a pretty good uh, a pretty good start. Uh, look for for me. I can I can speak for a kid coming in in 2008 trying to make a team, and and all of a sudden I found myself, you know, pitching the Yachty in games, and um, that to me was like that's a huge compliment because you know Yachty would stay in after the starter catch me, and then he would come out, and that's when I started realizing like hey I might have a chance here, you know, like if Yachty's catching me in games, I think that's a good <laughs> sign, but 
but what he does for the young guys is he, he forces you and pushes you to do things you might not be comfortable with, but you're going to have to do it if you're going to pitch at this level. So he's not going to adapt to your style in spring training. He's going to say, hey, kid, I know the stuff you have. This is what you're going to have to do to pitch at this level. Let's see if you can do it. So here's a first pitch curveball, you know, with a guy on first and second right now in a huge situation. Let's see if you can throw it for a strike. Or let's see if you can throw this, this changeup behind in the count in a 2-1 count when normally in double-A AA or triple-A you're throwing a fastball every time. That's not how we do things here in the big leagues. And so he changes your mindset and thinking. But also what it does is it takes all the thought process, process out of it for the young guys. You don't have to think. You just have to follow what he does and you have to execute. Now, the execute's the hardest part. You know, we talked about that earlier. The, the philosophy and the style isn't the hardest thing. Can I do what he's asking me to do and can I do it consistently? And that's the difference between a guy in AA, AAA and a guy at the major league level. Kyle, I, I watch guys that throw 97 and 98 that don't really execute their pitches and don't have great command. And you were that 92, 93 guy that did execute pitches and had great command. Do you think as you watch the sport that there's, there's still a place for the Kyle McClellan? Do you think we've kind of swung too far to the, the power arm and we're not giving guys that can really pitch an opportunity? Well, I'm glad I was uh, in when I was in because uh, I, I joked about it. When I, when I left the Cardinals, I went to Texas Rangers and, and it, we were in a spring training there and, and they had like 10 guys that threw 100 miles an hour. And this is kind of like the early phase of this, you know, just – super hard throwing bullpen guys and, and starters too. I mean, it's not just bullpen guys. And I told uh, Mike Maddox, who's our pitching coach at the time, I said, you know, I remember a day when like, if a guy threw a hundred, everybody came and watched. And I said, I feel like we're not too far from like, if I get up to throw a bullpen, everybody's going to come watch. And they're going to be like, how does this guy pitch at 91 miles an hour? I got to see this, you know? And uh, so it has definitely swung. And that was back in 2013. So we're almost 10 years of this. I think it will eventually come back. Um, you know, I just don't know if guys, guys can sustain uh, that velocity for long term with their careers. I think you're going to see shorter careers. Um, they're going to be electric careers, but they might be a little bit shorter. And, and so I, I never think the game's going to lose um, a place for people that can pitch, um, people that can go out there, make the ball move, throw multiple pitches in, in, in any count. And, and pitch. I, I think there's always going to be a spot for that guy, but there's definitely not as many as there used to be. That's for sure. Kyle, there's a lot of interesting storylines surrounding Cardinals pitchers as we head into the 2021 season. Which guy are you most intrigued to see? I think it's the staff as a whole, uh, starting rotation. I, I think if you look at the Cardinals over the last three years, maybe the starting rotation has carried this team. Um, and, and offensively, we've always been craving more offense. I think you're going to get that with the addition of Arenado. And you, you team him with Goldschmidt. You've always had one guy. You've had Goldschmidt. You had Carpenter, if you go back, you know, three, four years ago, who was an MVP candidate that would hit. But to see two of them in the middle of the lineup together, it hasn't really been there. Yachty's kind of been that guy that they've plugged in because he seems to do everything well and comes through in those situations. But now all of a sudden, I think they're going to score more runs. Um, can the starting pitching sustain itself now and, and team that up with scoring more runs? Because I think that's what we've been looking for the last three or four years. Now you're going to have it, but now can the starting staff hold on? Jack Flaherty, year three, like this is the time now to go. You know, you've, you, you showed what you can do in year one. Last year was kind of a, it was just a crazy year in general. Um, but this is a big year for Jack Flaherty to step up and say, hey, I'm gonna, I am the guy. I am, I am the future of this organization uh, from a pitching staff. And, um, and then you got some other question marks in there. Miles Michael is coming back after injury. So I think that the starting rotation to me is, is very interesting uh, watching going into this year. The bullpen is going to be fine. They're going to have tons of arms, lots of quality arms. I don't know where they're all going to fall and who's going to be on there, but they're certainly going to be guys that are going to be able to throw, uh, highly capable of throwing a lot of big innings down there. 
You mentioned Nolan Arenado and what he's going to do potentially from an impact standpoint on the offense. But if you're a pitcher and you're on the mound, it's pretty nice to know you have a guy like Nolan Arenado behind you. Oh, yeah. it's. I mean, what he's going to bring defensively is just going to be as as great as what he's going to bring offensively. And, um, you know, I, I talked to Matt Holiday a couple of weeks ago, and he was just raving about, you know, Arenado and, and how great of a guy he is and how he's going to fit in. And so I think uh, he's just a, a perfect add for the team exactly what they needed and and I tell you what that offense or that that a defense on the on the infield is going to be pretty solid and then you put a Bader in center field and and some of those other guys that defensively they're going to be very very good uh, which is going to be fun to watch and I think they're going to score runs because of it and again I think it just comes down to the pitching side Finally, Kyle, I want to ask about your foundation. There's an old saying that we've all heard, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. And your Brace for Impact 46 foundation, that's that's kind of the foundation locally here in St. Louis of what you people do, uh, you and your wife Bridget and your entire staff, is teach people how to be sustainable and live a life. Yeah, we try to give them the opportunity to be successful. And and you're right, look, it's complicated. Nonprofit and Community development and, and poverty alleviation is, is a very difficult space, and that's why I love it. It's a challenge. Um, and we have some great partners that we have learned a ton from. I don't, I don't, I'm no expert in this. Don't, don't, uh, don't mistake that. But, but we have some great partners that we get to learn from and, uh, and get to support and watch them just absolutely change lives through this. And, and we do what we do well. We fundraise. You know, we're not the implementators. We don't write the programs. We don't tell people what to do. Uh, we just elevate, support, and encourage our partners um, that that are doing great work. And I'm actually jumping on a plane heading to Haiti uh, tomorrow for the first time in a year um, to go see our team down there. We're going very safely, and um, you know we've had all the the medical precautions to go down there and make sure that the people and community that we're engaging with are going to be safe. And um, we're going to go spend some time with our doctor down there at the hospital and, and get an idea of what's happening there. And the stuff that's going on here in North City, St. Louis, that we get to be a part of is, has been awesome. And the stories and the transformation that's happened to these families that uh, that our partner gets to support, it's uh, it's great. I tell people all the time, I have to talk baseball because it's what I did. Uh, but baseball has given me the platform um, to do what I love to do. And, and I would I would say that I, I enjoy what I do now uh, more than, than what I did when I played. And uh, it's been a fun ride. That's because you don't have me bothering you with my microphone every day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to break down after games. Why did I throw that O2 fastball right down the middle? I don't have to I don't have to explain that to anymore. And then the you know the best question is is that what you were meaning to do there? And I would be like, that is such a dumb question. Of course not. I was not trying to give up a home run. Not that you would ever ask that question, but just in general. One of my favorite things after games when you blow a game. Is that what you meant to do? Yeah, yeah right. exactly what I meant to do. <laughs> Kyle, great to hear your voice. Thanks for all you do for our world, and we appreciate talking to you today. We'll do it during the season, okay? Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thank you, sir. That is our friend Kyle McClellan on 101 ESPN. Great guy and another guy that obviously has been impacted not only on the field but off the field by Adam Wainwright. And that Brace for, uh, Brace for Impact 46 Foundation, 96 jobs created in the St. Louis area, wow. six homes renovated, 22 families impacted. So what they're doing is amazing and like he said, they they fundraise, and you can help out by going to braceforimpact46.com. Which everyone should do because they're doing incredible work. And I love that Kyle said that he loves baseball because it's what he did, and that's what he mm-hmm. talked about, but that he loves what he's doing now, helping people far more than he ever did with baseball. Just such a great – he and Bridget both uh, from St. Louis and great human beings. Yes. You couldn't be more correct. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, Dak Prescott is staying with the Cowboys, $160 million. But is that going to be enough for the Cowboys to get over the top? That's next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Nine oh six in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. As you may have heard, Dak Prescott and the Cowboys agreeing to a one hundred sixty million dollar contract over the next four years that will give him Michelle a hundred and twenty six million dollars guaranteed Ooh. and a signing bonus of sixty six million dollars. So, when this deal is completed, they're just going to write him a check for sixty six million dollars. Not a bad deal. No, you can't take that. Not a bad deal. And for all of the consternation, they did get it done here on March 9th. Adam Schefter, how did this happen? They got much of the agreement in place over the weekend, and then they hammered home the deal on Monday, the record deal that pays Dak Prescott more guaranteed money than any NFL player ever has gotten in a deal. It's a four-year deal, and Dak Prescott will once again have this deal expire when he's 31 and the new TV money kicks in, and Dak Prescott will get another bite of the apple, and it should be a glorious bite if he performs to the level that he has in recent years. But the Cowboys lock in their quarterback. They save $15.5 million against the cap this year. Dak Prescott gets all his money. And think about this. When Jerry Jones bought the Dallas Cowboys in 1989, he paid $154 million. He's now paying Dak $160 million, more for Dak than he did the team. Wow, that is an amazing statistic. $154 million he paid for the team. And the stadium. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, he's he's earned that one back. And as yeah. Schefter mentioned, that's why you're seeing this deal now. And while a lot of people think Jerry took the L on this one because he could have tried to do something with Dak earlier and perhaps not had to pay him as much money because Dak continued to bet on himself and succeed. I think Jerry's sitting back and he's thinking, well, I got my franchise quarterback locked up. Oh, and the TV money is going to come in. Wait till we see the numbers for the TV deal that he's about to get. So while it does seem like Jerry took an L, in the immediacy of this, in the grand scheme of things, this is going to be nothing for him. ESPN's Ed Werder. Did Jerry indeed take an L? Dak wins the negotiation convincingly, and the Cowboys and Jerry Jones still avoid their doomsday scenario, which would have been having to pay Dak Prescott $37.7 million, all charged to the cap this year on a reduced cap figure for the upcoming season, and then Dak possibly having the option of leaving the franchise after one more season. Remember, he played on the franchise tag last season. He only played five games, so the worst possible thing happened to Dak Prescott playing on the franchise tag. He suffered a season-ending injury early in the year, and he still winds up having so much leverage that he becomes the second-highest-paid quarterback in the league and sets the NFL record for the largest signing bonus and gets a no-trade clause, uh, a no-franchise tag provision. So basically, Dak Prescott won this contract, and he's in almost he's virtually insured he's going to win the next one, too. That's, I think, the key, is that he's going to win the next one, too. And... I never really understood why the Cowboys chose to play hardball with Dak Prescott (laughs) because what does every NFL team need and what most of them are constantly searching for is a franchise quarterback. Mm -hmm. And I know that they wanted to try to get the the best deal for them from a financial standpoint, but the numbers were always there for Dak. He was coming off a season where he was second in passing yards. He was fourth in QBR, third in touchdown passes, sixth in yards per attempt, and he was an incredible face of the franchise 
franchise yeah. and a leader in that locker room. He was everything that they could hope to have. So that's why I always respected Dak for believing in the numbers, believing in his talent, and going against the, the machine and Jerry Jones and the Cowboys. The interesting part of this is if he would have signed two years ago at $35 million a year, which was the going rate then with the Aaron Rodgers deal and the Wilson deal. So the deal would have been 140. So from that perspective, you talk about Jerry winning $20 million to Jerry, whose team is worth $5 billion. Exactly. Drop in the bucket. For so sure. from, from his perspective, whether the, the cap was the big thing, it's a $22.2 million cap hit this year. The, the 20 million in cash is nothing. Mm-hmm. And they save 15 million on the cap. So that's the big key for the Cowboys. And now the next key is how do they build the team around him to win and win consistently and win the big one. And here's the thing with Prescott. You mentioned the fact that he's been great. Todd Archer, who covers the Cowboys for ESPN, says he's got to continue to be great. He's the second highest paid quarterback in the NFL, 40 million a year. The 126 million guaranteed a record $66 million signing bonus. Now it's winning and winning the big game. And that's always what the Cowboys quarterback is judged on from Roger Staubach to Troy Aikman. Remember, Danny White, three NFC title games, wasn't good enough. Tony Romo, a long, successful run, wasn't good enough. Now Dak is going to be judged by Super Bowls. He's no longer that plucky fourth-round pick. But I do think after the Dak Prescott injury, what we saw Andy Dalton have to deal with with the team and the regressions that you saw, especially offensively, really did shine a light on how great Dak was Uh and how much he was elevating the team around him. And so while I think ultimately, yes, when you're a franchise quarterback and more importantly, the franchise quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, big picture you will be judged on whether or not you win a Super Bowl because fair or unfair that's the way we judge quarterbacks that's the metric by which we rate quarterbacks but I do think at least in the immediacy of this we did see the value that Dak Prescott brings to the team when he was removed from the equation absolutely so Prescott four years 160 million with the Cowboys that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN coming up with Michelle and Randy the Blues go 4-0-2 on their road trip to California. More importantly, have they found themselves a backup goalie to Jordan Biddington? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Blues fell to the Sharks last night, 3-2 in overtime. But Michelle, over the course of the last several weeks, one thing has happened for the Blues, and I don't think we expect Billy Huso to be the Blues' number one goalie. If something would happen to Jordan Bennington, I think there would be major concern, as there should be on the part of Blues fans. But we should note this, that in his first four starts, Huso allowed four goals, five goals, one, and then two. He was one and three in his first four starts. In his next four starts, the Blues were 4-0. and oh. Now, he allowed four goals in two of those games, two in the others, and then three last night as he lost. But the key is to win games. And at the moment, Huso has won five. He's lost four. And that's what I was hoping when we came into the season. If, if Ville Huso could be a 500 or better goalie and Bennington could be Bennington, I was going to be a happy camper. And I don't care what the goals against numbers are. If he is able to win games for the Blues, they should be happy. And I think they are. 
I think so, too. And early in the season, I remember a lot of the conversations we had were about the defense playing in front of him, even in, in some mm-hmm. of those games where he didn't have the numbers that he would have wanted or the outcome that he would have wanted. But it seems like as the season has gone on and he's gotten a little bit more seasoning, we started to see more of what he can do. And it's been fairly impressive. And I think you're exactly right. If something, knock on wood, that this does not happen, would happen to <laughs> Jordan Bennington, then it would be a different conversation. But for the role that he is supposed to have, Billy Huso, so far, so good. Yeah, are you going to be able to get by with a goaltender that has an 884 save percentage and a 3.48 goals against? No, but for his role, he's fine. Now, Craig Bruby did start him last night. Most of us thought that he would start Jordan Biddingson. So why did he start Huso? I just think we got to use, you know, he needs to play. I mean, uh, we played Bennington a lot uh, early on this year, and um, it's a good little pretty good stretch here where Bennington can get rested up. That's a key is that you just can't play Jordan Bennington in every single game. This happened a couple of years ago when Jake Allen would play during the Stanley Cup season. And Hmm. we don't have the Grand Fuhrer playing 76 games out of an 82-game schedule anymore. You just can't play that much as a goalie. So you mean to tell me it had absolutely nothing to do with Jordan Bennington getting pulled the last time the Blues played the Sharks and maybe pushing one to three dudes on his way off the ice? Might have had something to do. And by the way, the Blues came back on the back of Huso and won that game. But Ryan O'Reilly was asked if maybe what you're thinking was the reason that Vile got the start. Gosh, I don't know if that was the reason for it. I think Huso's been playing great. And um, it's been a lot of hockey for Binner and it will be going forward. Uh, yeah, so it's just, you know, I thought, uh, you know, Huso found a way, played great last time and got us a win. And I think it was just kind of feeling off that. I got to tell you, I feel better about him now than I did three weeks ago. And I think I told you when he had that stretch where he would allow a goal on the first or second shot of the game, it was like three or four straight games that he did that. Automatically, I would grab my phone and say, okay, what free agent goalies are available? Who could we trade for? (laughs) I really did. But now I'm comfortable with Huso as the backup. I am too. And especially after what Ryan O'Reilly just talked about, when Jordan Bennington gets pulled, he's clearly upset. The team feels an energy of him pushing people on his way out. And they are riled up and want to make a statement in that game. Billy Huso stepped up to the moment. And that showed a lot to me about who he is and who he can be. And if you're Craig Berube and you've got back-to-backs coming up against Vegas... Maybe he's thinking that he plays Bennington in both games against Vegas on Friday and Saturday. And maybe that's why Huso got the start. Even though the Blues have three days off, give Bennington plenty of rest mm-hmm. and then start him in both games against the number one team in your division. Yeah, you're going to need Jordan Bennington between the pipes in those games. That, see, that's a good thought, Randy. Here I am thinking, oh, it was a little bit of a kerfuffle the last time Bennington was on the ice versus the Sharks. Maybe they don't want uh, that to be any noise surrounding the team. They don't want that to take over. And Billy Huso did play well as he came in for Jordan Bennington that game. But you're right. Craig Brewer is probably thinking two, three steps ahead. And I am not concerned about Jordan Bennington. I, I would guess that there are people that are concerned about him. He's 9-6-3, so you'll you take the wins. A 9-0-8 save percentage. 9-13 is elite, so he's right there. A 2.69 goals against. You can win under ordinary circumstances when you don't have half of your forwards out with injury mm-hmm. with right. a, a 2.69 goals against. So I'm 100% comfortable with Jordan Bennington playing for the Blues now. So am I. Give you, give you that during the season, you're great. And then we know what he can do under normal circumstances again.
let's throw everything about the bubble out. But under normal circumstances, we know what Jordan Bennington, at, le- at least we know what the the possibility is for him in the postseason. And there are certainly goalies that are as even keel as can be. Martin Brodeur was mm-hmm. the best goalie of all time. As even keel as can be. Didn't outwardly show his competitiveness, but it was incredible how competitive he was. I love the fact that Bennington is as competitive as he is and then shows it. He shows frustration when it doesn't go the way that he expects himself to perform. And if he loses a game, I feel really good about him coming back in the next game. I think he's had a three-game losing streak. His first one in regulation play, he had it this season. And that's half of his six losses. But I, not generally, 100% of the time, expect that when... He loses a game, Jordan Bennington, and comes back in the next game. I expect him to win the next one. That was one of the things during their run to winning the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup. It was one of the bets you felt the most confident in making that if Jordan Bennington lost, he was going to come out and be a brick wall the, the next time around. And I think we're seeing that again with him this season. But I'm with you. I like that he's a demonstrative and a fiery goalie. I like that we see that emotion out of him. But it's so interesting to see that on the ice. And then after the game, when you hear him talk, it's back to, do mm-hmm. I look nervous? We gotta get we gotta get a win. It's just so even keel and such a flatliner response when he's talking to the media and when he's off the ice. But I love to see that competitive nature for him on the ice. And I think his teammates feed off of it as well. And he's going to have to carry the team. And I know that's a lot of pressure to put on a guy, but the fact of the matter is, even though you have Tarasenko back when you're missing Robert Thomas and you're missing Jaden Schwartz and you're missing Tyler Bozak and you're missing Barbashev and you're missing Pareko. Oh, is that all? Yeah. Is that all? Your goalie's going to have to steal games for you, isn't he? Yes. But I would think Jordan Bennington feels up to the challenge. I think right. he's the type of player that thrives off pressure. We we know during the bubble, he talked about not having that environment affected him. He's a guy that likes to have people coming at him. He likes to feel challenged. He likes to feel that pressure and that energy and that intensity. So I imagine for someone like him that is looking at the list of names that are out for this team and people are doubting them and they're looking at 50 to step up to the plate. He thrives in that type of environment. And I'm guessing that, especially with these three days of practice, the Blues will come out on Friday night, not with a glaring different look, but last night in San Jose, they're late into the second period and the Sharks only have 11 shots on goal. And you can build a system with lesser talent where you do prevent the other team from getting opportunities. If you're, You have to be a defense first team. You can't have your defensemen pinching in and getting involved in the offense as much as the Blues historically have done. But my guess is that when the Blues come out on Friday night and Saturday, they're going to be primarily a defensive team. And especially with Tarasenko back, you allow one goal, you allow two, plan on getting one from Vladdy, and try to win games 3-2-2-1. And the best way to do that, there's two ways. Number one, maintain possession of the puck in the offensive zone, which they do a really good job of. And then your defense has to be shut down. They have to be in the right place at the right time all the time. And stay out of the penalty box. There it is. You just outlined the blueprint to success. Yeah, it's pretty easy. You, the thing is, as I think O'Reilly mentioned, or maybe it was Schenner, they're missing a lot of star power. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have your stars, you have to play an ugly game. You have to play good road hockey, eh? And it, that's simple and just being in the right place at the right time. That's the way the Blues need to roll. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. And it is time for... You're killing me, Smalls. So, Randy, we got some news. I believe it was last week that Les Miles had accusations of inappropriate behavior towards female students during his head coaching tenure at LSU. So then Les Miles in Kansas, he was put on administrative leave. We got word last night from both Les Miles and Kansas that the two had mutually agreed to part ways. Here's the statement. I'm going to give you the first from Jeff Long, their AD, and then from Les Miles. Jeff Long says, I'm extremely disappointed for our university fans and everyone in Involved with our football program. There's a lot of young talent on this football team, and I have no doubt we will identify the right individual to lead this program. We will begin the search for a new head coach immediately with an outside firm to assist in this process. We need to win football games, and that is exactly what we're going to do. And here's from Les Miles. This is certainly a difficult day for me and my family. I love this university and the young men in our football program. I have truly enjoyed being the head coach at KU and know that it is in a better place now than when I arrived. To our student athletes, I want you to remember that you came to play for KU and earn a degree here. So I implore you to stay and build on what we started to do of all the things we talked about doing together. There's a bright future for all of you and for KU football. All right, a couple of points. Number one, it is not in a better place than it was when he took over. Uh, They've won one Big 12 game. They don't even play close games. He's won three games in three years. Uh, They didn't win a game last year. So the... It's a toxic waste to dump KU football is. Number two, you can't have your head coach, regardless of age, in any sport, having any sort of relationships where they're alone with students outside of their program. For him to be alone in his car with students at LSU is completely unacceptable, and he should have been fired then, Mm -hmm. like the Hush Blackwell report said. And... I give credit to KU for parting ways with him. But last, and certainly not least, Jeff Long hired Bobby Petrino at Arkansas before Bobby Petrino went on his ill-fated motorcycle ride with a young member of the athletic staff. She was like 23, Mm -hmm. and Bobby Petrino was in his 50s. And now you've got another head coach hired by Jeff Long in his 50s that was getting together with, if not having affairs with, young either co-eds or people involved with the program it's unacceptable and it just can't be done and as much as i liked les miles i thought mizzou should have hired him when they hired barry odom i'm glad they didn't now it was 114 and 34 at lsu is really good and nobody could have known this nobody could have seen this coming because the reports hadn't been released until last weekend to usa today but knowing what we know now The guy's a scoundrel, and he shouldn't have a a college head football coaching job. Dan Wolken from USA Today pointed this out, that Jeff Long was hired at Kansas specifically to fix the football program. And despite what Les Miles says, you had it right. Do you really think the football program is better off now than it was when he brought him in or when Jeff Long was hired? Not likely. So if I'm Kansas, I'm looking at him, and even though the information just came out, behind the scenes in college football, aren't you digging on this candidate as hard as you possibly can? And if this was going on at LSU, you didn't have anybody that you had there that you could vet that would give you any information that led you to believe that maybe something sus 
suspect was going on there. And I, at least if I was a power that be at Kansas, would be looking at Jeff Long and, yeah. and would be wondering, why are we hiring an outside firm to do this hiring process? And even though Les Miles is parting ways with the with the university, why are you absolved of all of this? And why are you still involved in this process? No, he absolutely is should be under great scrutiny there especially because of the track record it hasn't been great and by the way the basketball program is likely to get slammed with sanctions under his watch too so yeah there are a lot of issues there and by the way if you're a good assistant coach if you're tony elliott at clemson do you go near kansas football no i think the only way that you get a head coach there a good head coach is to get a guy on the rebound and hope like when Mizzou got Larry Smith Larry Smith was he he wasn't being called by anybody but they got him and he was a good enough coach to help turn the program around maybe a guy like Kevin Sumlin who's had success in the past I mentioned him earlier you did he did go out and get Johnny football at Texas A&M while he he coached Johnny football but there aren't many guys who have a history of winning, especially at this time of year, that are going to come to your program. And no assistant coach worth his salt is going to say, that's where I want to start my career because it's a graveyard. But it's still a head coaching job at a big time university and a power five conference in college football. That's likely going to pay a lot of money. So even though it's a very toxic situation and even though it seems like you're not going to have a great deal of success there, it still is a head coaching job. It is. But uh, and I'll look it up quickly. If I'm not mistaken, their last four head coaches, none of them have had a head coaching job after KU. So it's it's literally, well, they aren't going to their graves, but it's it, it's a place where careers go to die. I will have it here in one moment. I'm in the H's. Okay. K H I J. There's Kansas. Okay. So Les Miles, he won't coach again. David Beatty has not been a head coach again. Charlie Weiss was never a head coach again. Uh, Turner Gill, I don't know if he was a head coach again. And then Mangino was never a coach again. So I think you have to go back to Terry Allen as their last head coach to have a job after uh, Turner Gill had one year at Liberty. So one coach of their last five had one year of head coaching after leaving KU. But I don't think potential candidates would look at that list and think that they're not the one that can turn it around. No doubt. They have ego. They have all of these coaches have ego. All of these coaches think that they're going to be the one to do it. And they're looking for that opportunity. And they know that their bank account is going to swell if they get this job. It is. But I think the other thing, if let me just throw Tony Elliott's name out there again. He's going to look at their facilities. He's going to look at the resources available and compare it to what he has at Clemson. Mm -hmm. And I I think any logical person is going to go in and look around and say, how do I win here? And it's a pretty sweet gig at Clemson. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. And even as the offensive coordinator, where you're probably getting paid more than you will at KU as the head coach. And you have a chance to win a national championship every year. Yeah. So I just, I wonder and I'm just talking about the premier guys. If you're an assistant coach at, let me just throw a random Big 12, Texas Tech. If you're the offensive coordinator at Texas Tech, I'm, I'm talking about Clemson, Alabama, those guys, big time guys. Steve Sarkeesian goes to Texas. Right. Is the offensive coordinator at one of the Ohio State's, Clemson's, Alabama's, 
are they going Texas A&M? Are they going to go to KU? No, you can get a mid-level offensive coordinator, sure. But the let me put it this way: the offensive coordinators that we know the name of, they aren't going to KU. No, they're not. Absolutely not. You're killing me, Smalls. Regardless of the check, either. I don't no. think they're going there. No. no. Because they know if they just bide their time and continue to have success in their programs, a better job will open up. A good job will open up. A really good job. <laughs> a really, really good job. That's right. Maybe when Eli Drinkwitz decides to yep. go somewhere else, they could take the Mizzou job. Right. right? Okay, Randy. So um, ESPN Plus has the great show Peyton's Places, where Peyton Love Manning it. goes around to different spots in the NFL. He talks to people there, and he he's just such a charismatic personality, and it's a, it's a great watch. Well, his brother Eli is following it in his place, Randy, because ESPN Plus announced that Eli Manning has a new show coming to ESPN Plus called Eli's Places. I decided to go back to school. Back to school, like uh, Thornton Mellon, Ronnie Dangerfield, back to school, no, Chaz, no, no. you know, the diving team. I'm no. not doing the triple indie paid. I'm getting an advanced degree in football studies. I mean, if you want to learn more about football, you could have just watched my show. I can get you a coupon. No, not NFL football, college football. I got my own show on ESPN+. Plus. <laughs> Eli, just because you won as many Super Bowls as I did doesn't mean you have to do the same things that I do. Tell me about this show of yours. Peyton, it's not a blindside safety bliss. This is college. They recruit you. I'm going to the biggest universities and get the greatest stars to show me the most iconic places in college football history. For the first time, you and I are going to be teammates. Now, there can't be a better farewell to football than that. Teammates? I give it two years. Two years? Two years till what? Till you're my backup. What? <laughs> They're awesome. They're great. Manning brothers are great. And we know that Eli, when he retired, said that he was interested in broadcasting. And this does seem like a really good fit. Obviously, Peyton Manning has had great success with his show on ESPN. So to try and lock up the other Manning brother and see if you can have similar success with college football seems like a win for ESPN. It does. Peyton is a riot. Eli is sneaky funny. He is sneaky funny. Those Frank commercials that he's Mm -hmm. been in, very good. And I'm interested to see what he's like as a host, though. Yeah, me too. Because when you're in a situation like this or like a commercial where the script is written for you and you just have to hang out with your brother or deliver your lines, it's different. What's it going to be like? Because as he mentioned, let me pull this up here. He's going to the biggest universities to get the greatest stars to show him the most iconic places in college football history. That's him leading the show. That's him extracting the best out of his subjects. That's him having enough excitement wherever university he goes to to tell the story of why this place is great and even though i think eli is sneaky funny and interesting i do think this is going to be a challenge for him and i'm excited to see what he puts together my guess is and maybe you know that peyton is the executive producer like he is at peyton's places and eli will be set up to succeed if if there's any chance at all of him succeeding he's going to because he'll be set up to oh absolutely i think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be interesting. And if you're one of the Mannings and you go to a university or if you go yeah, to right. an, an, anywhere in an NFL organization, you're going to get access that you or I would not get if we were hosting a similar show. Oh. You're going to get the red carpet rolled out for you if you're Eli Manning going anywhere in college football. For example, Nick Saban already loves ESPN, right? So Eli Manning walks on to campus and they set something up. Hey, Nick, do you have six hours? Can you do something with Eli? Yes. Right. And it's free recruiting for a guy like Nick Saban or a guy like Brian Kelly at Notre Dame or Clay Helton. Oh, yeah. And and you can get the 
alums, too. I think it'll be great. And you know the tone of it, if you're a coach, the tone of it's going to be great for you. Right. Eli's going to want to joke around. It's going to be very positive programming. Is his guy at Tennessee going to be Peyton? It has to be, right? Yeah, you'd think so. And I would I would think that they could make that one pretty special. Yeah, be pretty good. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. And thank you very much for tuning in to your Killing Me Smalls. Hey, did you know that 101 ESPN and our sister stations down the hall are all competing in app madness this March? Because corporate told us to, but we're doing it. <laughs> so how can we convince you to download and use the 101 ESPN mobile app at least one time this month? We loaded up the app with a bunch of sweet giveaways. This is incredible. Michelle, you know my favorite thing is the Traeger Grill, right? That's right, correct. We've got your chance to win a Traeger Grill. All you have to do is sign up and use the app and register. Your chance to win $500 cash, a replica Nolan Arenado jersey, and a lot more. The 101 ESPN mobile app. Get it, use it, and help us try to win this dumb app madness competition against our other Hubbard stations down the hall. All you need to do is go to your Google store or your iTunes store and download the 101 ESPN app. We're going to cross things over with Danny Mac next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Danny Mac is here in studio, and uh, I was going to tell the story off the air, but I'll tell all of us since we're all here. Can't wait. So <laughs> I am a bicycle rider, and several years ago down in Jupiter, I decided I wanted to go find Tiger Woods' house on Jupiter Island. So I rented a bike from right down the street from Roger Dean Stadium. Don't remember the name of the bike shop, but rented a bike and uh, rode to Jupiter Island. trying. And I looked up Tiger's address on the interweb, so I knew it where I was going. And... I'm riding down the road, and I'm a couple of houses away as I look at all the addresses. And first of all, all the homes have a driveway and then a service entrance. And several houses before I get to Tiger Woods' house, there's a house with a DeWitt sign, the DeWitt family. And then I went back and found out that I rode right past the DeWitt family home on Jupiter Island, right like two or three houses away from Tiger's. So you were stalking the DeWitts. I was, I was actually stalking Tiger. <laughs> That's great. And MJ. Is and that right? MJ's in the same hood. Yeah. It's, so you're stalking Mr. DeWitt, Tiger, and MJ. Yeah, and there's another pro golfer that lives there. Yeah. If, Greg Ju- Norman. Jupiter Island, yeah. Uh, he's there. It's there's a bunch that are down very there. Very impressive. Uh, Nick Price was there. In a normal year, mm-hmm. there would be, let's see, Fowler would stop by. You might see DJ. Nick Price, uh, I'm trying to think of other guys that would stop by and camp and take some BP, hang out, yep. so maybe Michelle, get some work on their bodies. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Last year, Danny and I were playing golf at the Floridian, nice yeah. club down in uh, That seems like years ago. It does. It was a long time ago. Might have been like this date this, last year. Yeah, right. <laughs> and our caddy was telling us about, because this is a famous golf club that a lot of uh Celebrities have played Jim at. Jim Crane owned. Yeah, right. Owned oh, by wow. the owner of the Astros. Mm-hmm. And our caddy was telling us what a great guy Ricky Fowler is. He said, he's awesome. Of all the people I've met from sports, Ricky Fowler is the best. Met him on a couple of occasions. Couldn't be any nicer. So he comes around uh, Cardinals camp every once in a while. He's he? friends. Yeah, he's friends with a couple of the players. There was a connection. I can't remember what player it was. Oklahoma State connection. And then just through the players, might have been through um, 
Dexter Fowler. I used to play some golf with Dexter and, and Jimmy down in uh, camp. We would go out and play, and that was always fun. I miss Dexter. Dexter is a good dude. I was watching him yesterday wearing number 25 for the Angels and looking good. I'm telling you, I think Dexter Fowler is going to have uh, a good year with the Angels. Joe Madden is going to put him at the top of the lineup. He's a free agent to be. I think he's going to be comfortable with Joe Madden, and I'm not saying he wasn't comfortable with Mike Schilt because I think he was comfortable with Mike Schilt. I don't think he was ever comfortable with Mike Matheny. It just didn't click for whatever reason. And uh, always when you're a free agent to be, I don't care what sport you're talking about, you're motivated. I think he wants to play beyond this year, and I bet he has a very good season with the uh, Angels. Maybe not great, but I, I bet he's a solid player with the Angels. I and hope, I hope he is. I hope you're right, too. He's um, a good guy. He really is. And I'll never forget the way that he treated St. Louis on the way out. Yeah. And it couldn't have been easy for him coming from the Cubs, being on that special team, winning a World Series, and then coming to St. Louis. And things were obviously not great at the start for him here. But when he left to write that note to St. Louis and say, our little girls will always be St. Louis girls, that means a lot to people mm. here. Well, I look at it from, and that's always nice. I, I agree with you. I just think it it just didn't click. You know, when he got here, he was supposed to be the leadoff man. He was supposed to be a center fielder. And right away, Matheny kind of pulled him out after about a two- to three-month run of being a leadoff man. And at that time, you had at the top of the lineup, in no particular order, it was supposed to be a lineup that was going to grind you out, those starters, with Oledmus Diaz, Dexter Fowler and Matt Carpenter mm-hmm. guys. It took a lot of pitches and made you work and that didn't work with those three. And um, for whatever reason, what was a personal reason, what it was uh, just professional, whatever, it just didn't click. And so then he was kind of out of the lineup and then he had a really poor year. I guess it was three years ago. He was in and out of the 18, lineup. 2018. Yeah. That was a bad year. And he bounced back. I thought he was, I thought he was a good player last year and then he had the stomach issue and if he doesn't have the stomach issue he was one of the better cardinals last Mm -hmm. year with goldschmidt and remember guys he basically was out for what like two and a half three weeks had not even swung a bat the cardinals needed offense in the worst way and they were just like look just come back just come back (laughs) and they threw him right in the lineup and you could tell right away that he was one of the better hitters that they had because the bats that he had and and took and his first at bat, he got a base hit. Mm-hmm. You can just tell, you know, he's a pro. Um, so I'm going to miss him. I, I I really enjoyed my time with Dexter. I thought that he, among all the guys, got exactly what you would expect out of his ability. I think one of the problems was the contract here and the expectations. 82 that people and had. a half, right? Million? Yeah. Yeah. And his numbers in terms of OPS, aside from 2018, were pretty similar to his career numbers. Yeah. I, he gave you what you would reasonably expect from him. But I do think that the depression issue and some of the injuries that he ran into really hurt him here. And then the the other thing I was going to say is that Matt Carpenter not being able to hit anywhere except for the leadoff spot really hurt him. Because they That's expected right. They Carp- were trying to get him going. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. Carpenter was – his numbers at the leadoff spot were the quintessential number three hitter numbers. But he just couldn't hit anywhere but the leadoff spot, so they had to move him back up. And the year before that he got to St. Louis, the first half in Chicago, Dexter Fowler – I remember at the press conference, and we did a one-on-one interview, and I had met Dexter on a number of occasions. I said, man, you were, you're right there with being the MVP of the National mm-hmm. League. He was awesome that first half with the Cubs. He was top two, top three in the league. His second half was okay. Then he had the Game 7 leadoff homer in uh, the World Series. 
And as he went, they went. Joe Madden made that motto. You go, we go. Yep. And um, I think the expectations were just so high because it was the Cubs and the Cardinals, and they need a leadoff guy, and you were looking for a center fielder. I mean, there was just a lot that was put on his shoulders. And I think you're right, Randy. I I think he – I don't know if he played to the contract. I don't don't think he did. But he played okay. And when you you make $82.5 million and you're coming from the arch rival (laughs) and there's a lot that's put on your shoulders – you know, the, the expectations are awfully high. He, he did, probably didn't play to the contract, especially with a very poor year in the middle of it, but he played okay. Can I give you a hot take? Yes, sir. You uh, just brought up Joe Madden. I think in all my years of watching baseball, since I got to observe Whitey Herzog, the most similar manager in the way he approaches the game, teaches the game, deals with the media, deals with the players is Joe Madden. I think if... I think they're two peas from the same pot. I think they're just so similar. Who else would be in that? Uh... I think Francona. Yeah, probably Francona, Madden. Just in terms Who of the, the way they deal with and communicate with players and teach the overall game. They've I haven't Duncan... really thought about that. Who else would be in that? Boy, um... I don't know. I just you kind of made you're stumping yeah. me here. I'm trying yeah. to think. No, I'm going through the list of guys. It's just it's a unique personality trait that those guys have. Well, the the, the job has changed so much, man, with bloggers and the amount of media that you have to deal with. I mean, when when you think about Whitey, at least at, at, at my time of of being around Whitey, which was at the tail end, you had Jack and Mike and Rick Hummel. And, you know, a handful of guys that were covering the team. And now, as I look up and see Jim Leland going off on the media on MLB <laughs> Network, um, you know, I think about now, it's especially like when you're at home in St. Louis, like you're probably 10 to 12 deep on any given night mm-hmm. of media and you're dealing with the media yeah. every single day. And um, and that's just part of the job. I mean, I'm, I, I say dealing with the media like, well, that's. What you sign up for, you have to do that every single day. Yeah. And then after every game, you're you're doing that too. It's mm-hmm. part of the job. And it's just like, you know, calling a hit and run and dealing with your team and all the things that are associated with managing a game. But uh, part of the job is the media, man. Right. That's, that's the deal. Yeah. And the one thing that I think is most similar among Madden, and, and I'll throw Francona in here too, but specifically Madden is that they manage the game so creatively, willing to put a pitcher in the outfield so that they can bring in a left-hander yeah. for one batter. Putting four guys in the outfield? Right. Things like that that are when just... When Madden did that against Carpenter, that was unbelievable. Yeah. When yeah. when Matt was on fire at Wrigley a few yep. years ago, and, it, and he, he put four guys out and there. And it, it got into Matt's head. Yeah. And the, the hot streak ended. Yeah. Well, he I remember talking to Matt about that, and I said, what did you think? He said, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> he said, I looked up, and I, I stepped out. I don't know if yeah. you guys remember this, so... He steps in the box, and he's kind of doing his routine. And he, he, he when his does his routine, he kind of is looking down, and then he looks at the pitcher, and he looks up, and he goes, "Wait a minute, where is everybody?" And he's had to step out because he saw four outfielders, and then he stepped out and then got back in, and realized what he was doing. It was like, you know, a softball type yeah. defense. Um, and then you said, "Hey, Matt, drop down a bunt," and he didn't do that. But um, uh, so. Yeah, it was it was unique, different, but yeah. I yeah, you think outside the box. I wonder if other guys would try to do that. I th- I think Mike Schilt might be one of those guys actually. I, I was thinking that. I think he would. Yeah. I, I think he would actually 
maybe entertain that thought with yeah. certain guys. Be interesting. Yeah. We're looking forward to UMBK. Yeah, Mike Gersh is coming up, the Cardinals GM, uh, who is situated right behind home plate mm-hmm. uh, with Wearing all these a mask. games. Yep. He's always masked up um, with the scouts. I saw today that they were going to allow just one scout to go to games. That's it. You get one scout that can go to games, and that is it with the upcoming season. So that's one more than Houston uses. Uh, well, there's a lot of video, Randy. A lot of video. A lot of video. You got plenty of video. They do a bang-up job. <laughs> How about Michelle from left field? <laughs> Love it. Trash cans. Yeah. So the, the like and we're such. Looking forward to the show. I am looking forward to it. Just an hour today. That's yeah. all I got. Just an hour. Okay. Looking forward to and it. Thank Emily, you again, great Dan. job. Oh, you're welcome. No thank problem. You. Yep. Uh, Happy great, to fill in. Great job today by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. Michelle, this is fun. Welcome back. Thank you. See you tomorrow. And thanks to you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Here's the lowdown on lowering bad cholesterol from Lecvio. Lowering bad cholesterol is hard, but you could do hard. You live through five fad diets, 11 sleep training nights, nine mediocre middle school recitals, one heart attack. And with Lecvio, you can lower your bad cholesterol and keep it low with two doses a year after two starter doses. Prescription Lecvio in glycerin is given by a doctor for people with known heart disease on a statin with diet who need more help lowering bad cholesterol. Common side effects were injection site reaction, joint pain, urinary tract infection, diarrhea, chest cold, pain in legs or arms, and shortness of breath. Results may vary. Learn more at Lecvio.com. Or call 1-833-537-8462. Ask your doctor about Lecvio. That's L-E-Q-V-I-O. Lower, longer, Lecvio. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.